Welcome to the Screamcast episode 84. I am Sean DeRager, and with me, as always, Brad motherfucking Henderson. Oh, no, I don't deserve that middle name. <laughs> but hello. Hi. What's up? Nothing. Just, you know, hanging out, talking to you, talking about movies and shit. I'm uh, currently warming my hands with my nice warm cup of coffee shop of horrors coffee. God, dude, you, make it sound, <laughs> you make it sound like a paid plug or something. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, God, anyway. this, I, this I, episode I, is brought to you by... Uh, hey, we got to give him shout outs. I just got my a package in the mail of my order and I'm super excited. So I quickly brewed up some uh, Nevermore Amaretto. Oh, dude, that smells so good. That it's was one of the Edgar- new ones. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, I, uh, I actually bought a big bag of that when I was at That was the one, uh, that was one of the ones I bought at Spooky. Yeah. Yeah, he opened that up and I was like, yep. Boner please. in my pants. Yeah. Um, but I haven't tried it yet. I haven't tried it. But yeah, I bought that and I bought something else that was new. Um, but um, yeah, I actually brewed up some myself. Oh. So I'm just drinking zombie dirt. It's just the espresso. But that's good it. stuff. It's really good, though. It's like that and Burial Grounds and Reanimator, I think, are my like three go-tos. Reanimator is my first thing in the morning thing. Go-to, yeah. for sure. And when White Russians are usually uh, at night. Yeah, good stuff. All right, coffeeshopofhorrors.com. Give them a chance. Use the, use the code SCREAMCAST to get 10% off your order. All right. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on lately, man. We've been, I don't know if we've talked about it, but we have actual contributors to the website. And, um, yeah, we haven't Der- really plugged that, have we? No. Um, Derek Smith just posted something called the really fan good grieving process. Really good. Really good. Really, really great. Um, Seems like it's taken off, too. We've had a pretty good response from it. Yeah. And so. I know that um, it's in response to. Um, it's mostly stemming from the recently yeah. passing of uh, Gunnar Hansen. Hansen. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that's a kind of a long time coming uh, article. I think I'm pretty rough, sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I look back, Derek was writing that article before the whole Gunnar Hansen thing. I think happened. so. So, well, I think he mentioned it to me, and then I guess the whole Gunnar Hansen thing with you know, kind of the you know, the fucking like. Sometimes I just want to like. I'll be honest. Like I just want to delete all social social media at times, just because of like. You know, yeah, something negative is ha- happening, but like so many people want to talk about the it's negative. The pylon. You know, and it's like, okay, it's, you know, you said something really stupid. You know, we understand that there's some really, really shitty people in the horror community that just really try to drag it down. Um, but yeah, it just, you know, it just gets really tiresome. Like something like that, you, you know, it sucks what happened. You know, it's not like, you know, we're standing out in the corner saying Gunnar Hansen changed our lives. You know, I know it's different when somebody close to you passes versus yeah. somebody you don't know. Just because, yeah, just because maybe you met them a couple times at a con, you don't know the person, but they still, you know, there's a staple in people's lives. You know, there's still something. Yeah, I've never, I, you know, I talked to Carpenter one time in my lifetime, and it was like for you know five ten minutes. Mm-hmm. It was a really important part of like even that. Like that was really big to me. No, fucking Carpenter doesn't know who I am. Right? Yeah, <laughs> but if, if, he, if, he, if he passed, again, he, he's not going to remember. Passed, you. That would be that would be tremendous yeah. for me. You know, because 
you don't understand like how much just because you're not attached to the person or you're feeling the same way, you don't have any room to judge what a passing of somebody, you know, what that means to somebody. Yeah. There could be big staples in their life. Yeah. Fucking he played Leatherface. He didn't really do a whole lot after that. You know, yeah, but he was, dude, that he is in cameos. Yeah. I mean, he was in cameos. Like, he but it's a legendary icon. It's a legendary movie. Well, it's one of the few portrayals, one of the few villains that have actually almost made me shit my pants. The first reveal of freaking Leatherface <laughs> almost. in the Locker is like ingrained in my memory of, as like one of my horror milestones of yeah. just being scared shitless. Uh, and I was, I think I was watching on DVD or maybe even V, I, uh, it was DVD, but I was, I was alone by myself watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And when that moment happened, when this, the dude opens up the, the fucking meat locker and wham and it's in his slam shot. Yeah, I mean, well, that's like, bam, that, that moment, man. He um, portrays that character, you know, uh, there's also that kind of running theme of kind of how, you know, there's even parts of where Leatherface is kind of just, he seems like a little boy. You know, even though he's he's you know he's he's violence, you know, because he's a mon he's violent because he's a monster. He's a, he's a you know un, he's a, like a relentless just big pound of muscle. But there's also that you know kind of other side to him where he does have kind of that I don't know that that easiness that that kind that kind side for a second. Right. You know, well, it's the character is just not on a flat surface. No, it's it's, it's a product you know? of its environment. And how it was raised in that environment, you know what I mean? It's it's a uh, you got it like that. That character is so interesting because it's just it's this you know young boy that was raised in this certain environment to that having that be the only thing he really knows. You know, he doesn't know true humanity. You know, and just the way that I think it's portrayed behind a mask, and you you totally get that he's almost very childlike in in a sense. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. But but he's also menacing as as hell and uh, yeah. Anyway, because I mean he, he's he's in you know cameos here and there and mm-hmm. like you know the '90s and stuff like that. But he didn't, you know didn't do anything else that was you know that substantial on account. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm, try, I'm trying to mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> he's a mosquito, but you know it, it's it's one of those things where you know it's. As a person in the horror community and a lover of you know films and and, and people, we, we attach ourselves in different ways to filmmakers, actors, writers, producers. Even you know it's, it, we're all affected different ways. So you know let let people have their grieving moment if it yeah. makes them makes them feel better. And you know it's not for you to judge if they're really churning it out for attention or they're really really you know hurt. Because I mean, yeah. you could look at it. Look, you look at a tweet or Facebook post says, uh, "You know, I'm in tears right now." Like you might laugh that off, but you know, they could be just turning it out for attention or just saying that just to say it. But how do you really know? Yeah, you know, because I last, well, not last year. The whenever Paul Walker passed, oh away, man, when I told my daughter that and she was like eight, she bawled her eyes out. Like she was legitimately like very upset. And I was just like, you know, just going to tell her, you know, just because it, it happened, 
you know, and I wasn't like doing it to, you know, upset her or anything like that. It was just in passing, you know, we were sitting there on the couch and, you know, uh, Janice mentioned something and I told her and then she just started bawling her eyes out. I, I started crying because I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God, you know, I mean, she doesn't know who Paul Walker is. I mean, she just knows him Brian O'Connor from, you know, fucking Fast and the Furious movies. But she's attached to those things. She constantly watches them. So that, yeah. that's important. So, yeah. you know, that experience alone with Willow really showed me that, you know, it a lot of things can affect people for different reasons. So yeah. let people have their grieving moment. It's not for you to judge whether they know the person. You don't have to know somebody personally and under to understand and, you know, grieve for their passing because you don't know what that means to that person. Totally. So it's like totally. a fucking show being canceled or an end of a, you know, end of an episode. <laughs> You know, you cry at the end of The Office or something, or you know, you, you cry at the end of a TV show. You, you're you're crying because you're attached to these characters. You're seeing them go away. When someone dies in a movie, you're not attached to the actor. You're attached to the character. You know, you have to look at it the same way. In that hour and a half, you're emotionally attached to that character, and that that saddens you. What about? Fucking watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you're 12 years old and growing up with it, and you think it's the best horror film of all time, and then that happens. Like you would, you, that's a lot more time has passed rather than an hour and a half. So you got to look, you got to, you got to weigh, you got to weigh that before you open your mouth. Yeah. But anyways, yep, yep, good stuff. Um, I know that uh, B, BJ, I think is is stuck at work. She's gonna try to join us later if she can't join us during the course of this episode. I know she wants to say something so i may record something with her later um so we'll, cool. we'll, we'll see what happens with that i really hope because she's really passionate about about this and, and, and i think he had pancreatic cancer so uh definitely yeah. hits close to home yeah. for her so so but yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about that yeah um so but first Better let's parsing. oh we got some we got to run down what we're talking about today. We are going to be talking, uh, last week it was kind of a triple feature action where the, you know, the movies could be watched, uh, in, in kind of an order and, and enjoy as a triple feature. This week's a little more random. We're going to be talking about John Carpenter, John Carpenter's vampires. We're going to be talking about Roar and we're going to be talking about, uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Wow. I I'm completely a- forgot what we we're talking about yep. today. <laughs> we also have our segments. Wait, um, vampires too, right? Did you mention vampires? Yes, oh. as well as our. I was, our I was like, segments. you mentioned a couple other things. I was like, wait, we're talking about these? We're going to be diving into uh, Return of the Living Dead. Oh God, series. Dude, we're talking so much. And uh, oh my God, I had no idea. Why did I do this? One other thing, I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll we'll, we'll blast oh through that God. stuff in a second. But first, let's talk about what's on our doorstep. Oh my God! Holy cow! I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Um, I'll go first. Uh, mine's quick. I only got uh, like three things. Okay. I got in. Um, sometimes they come back on uh, on Blu-ray. All of films uh, recently released this, uh, directed by uh, Tom McLaughlin, uh, written uh, short based off a short story of uh, Stephen King. Stars the lovely Brooke Adams, who you should know from Shockwaves. Mm-hmm. Super smoking in shockwaves. It resembles Karen Allen a little bit. I always get those two confused, and they're both uh, sweethearts, in my opinion. Um, and uh, also stars uh, Tim Matheson and an excellent performance by uh, William Sanderson as Mueller. Um, you seen this before? I have not. It's it's 
something Dude. that I've really been wanting to see, and I and the, all of Blu-ray has me extremely curious. Yeah, this is a movie I like really grew up on and watched constantly. Um, and I would say, man, I watched this like almost once a week when I was little. I recorded off HBO, and I just thought it was the shit. And I honestly, I haven't watched this movie in a long, 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 long time. I would say it's been a good, well, I'm 30, so I would say at least 15 years uh, I haven't seen this. And uh, it was just one of those things where I watched it so much that I knew it really well, so I just never revisited. And when I heard it was announced, it was like, oh, shit, I kind of forgot about sometimes they come back. Um and it fucking really holds up. There's only the issue, only issues I have with it is kind of towards the end. It gets a little Stephen Kingish, if you fucking know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean that's kind of the point, though. I mean, yeah, well, it goes a little, <laughs> it goes a little out there, but it's 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 about a a man who's a school teacher who goes back to his hometown where his uh, where he lost his brother at a very young age. Uh, he was there during the moment. Um, of him uh, losing his brother. He is on his way to the library and his older brother, his, his older brother is the one that passed, you know, he, uh, uh, I forget his name now. Uh, Jimmy, uh, Jim, uh, Mr. Norman is also his name because he's a school teacher. So Jim moves back with his wife and his, his kid back to his hometown where he lost his uh, older brother back in an accident. Uh, years ago and it was involving uh, they're on their way to the library and they go through this uh, train tunnel to you know kill some time well they're met with these uh, you know this you know 1950 fucking revved up Chevy uh, black with these uh, four four teenagers in it and they get out of the car and you know they just give them a hard time uh, they steal his older brother's shoes uh, they're fucking around. They pull out a knife to, you know, joke around a little bit. They push uh, his older brother into the knife and uh, stab him. And, um, you know, they, 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 you know, to drop their keys and shit and all this commotion's happening. And then they're like, you know, the little kid's going to talk. So let's, you know, they're telling him to come here. Then they see the train. So the train starts coming. They get in the car to drive off. They don't have their keys. Train smashes the car, kills the kids kills his you know older brother and jimmy runs home uh hysterically you know obviously because he lost his older brother so now he's older he's you know in his 40s he moves back to the town takes a school uh you know teaching job he's got some anger issues got some things he's got to work out um kids start giving him a hard time then there's these these other group of kids that you know take a liking to him and they just uh, – this black car shows up with these kids, and they start killing some of the kids in the classroom. And then each kid they kill, they replace the kid. Uh, one of these uh, you know, homicidal fucking teenagers. And so now they're coming to life. Uh, wow. Hence the name. Sometimes they come mm-hmm. back. And it's really fucking like – edge of your seat because you know he's dealing like he doesn't know if he's going crazy obviously these guys are real because the students are interacting with him um you know he's always at the scene of during kind of the murders that are taking place so now he's under suspicion of murder of his students because he obviously has these anger issues and then this you know this past that he can't kind of escape from and it's just him dealing like with his shit and then becomes kind of this almost like a cross between like Christine and um, God, uh, 
I wish I could remember. There's a short story, and this is, yeah, I, I don't know if this would help. You end up like old short stories from school and shit. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this uh, short story where this these two teenage girls is like set in the fifties, and they come across these group of guys, and this and this one this one guy he wears this big hat on his head. And he, you know, dresses like, you know, a greaser, but he walks really funny. He doesn't have his shoes tied all the way. So he kind of stumbles around. And long story short, the guy is supposed to represent the devil in the flesh because the hat's hiding his horns, his hooves, you know, are in the shoes. So that's why he walks funny. But there's this very devilish like uh, aura around these kids and it, that's what it kind of reminds me of this this film. I can't I can't recall the name of the short story, but it's just it it really like it it is horrifying, and I think it's great. It does get like I said Stephen Kingish towards the end with you know kind of the lighter side of things, which Stephen King always kind of drops the ball in that. I will say, anytime there's like something redeems, or you know there's there's like a a family oriented part. You know the same thing in fucking Pet Cemetery. That's what ruins Pet Cemetery. I think um, this film starts to go off the rails a little bit once they do that. No pun intended. Um, you know, but stuff like you know The Shining and Christine. You know, those movies don't have happy endings. I think that's why they succeed as as a book and mm-hmm. um, and, and as you know brought to film. Because there is no happy ending to those movies. It's it, it's quite horrifying, and you know uh, Stephen King doesn't know how to do drama. I don't think. I don't know if that's that's a bad thing to say. Probably because the girl that loved Tom Gordon is really good. I don't know. I guess I, when he I, mixes, I know what you're saying. It's hard to it's hard yeah. to pinpoint, but I know what you're saying. Like it's like when he mixes like family drama with horror, it doesn't work. Like he doesn't know how to balance those two appeals, right. and and the same thing is when it translates into a movie. Like it seems like the translation can't happen either, because I I can think of a, a handful of you know films that you know have that kind of um you know the, those family tones with horror and it just doesn't mix. You know I think that's why the I think The Shining uh the the movie is so superior to the book. Yeah. Well, because Kubrick Be, did his own – Because he does his, his own, own thing, but yeah. he, he cuts out that family stuff. And then they did that in the miniseries with Steven Weber, and that miniseries sucked because they showed you too much. I don't know. Less is more in that in that thing. I said that earlier today to you. So anyways, uh, yeah, uh, HD Master, no special features, sucks. But um, you know, sometimes they come back as on Blu-ray. Um not sure if the sequels will get uh, released. Sometimes they come back again, and sometimes they come back forever. Some bullshit. I haven't seen those, um, and I don't plan on it. I, I remember seeing the sequel when it came out, and I was not a fan. But I guess that's not fair. I, I should I should give it a shot. Give him a shot. What do you say, Sean? Give him a shot. Uh, I mean, might as well. I mean, might I as guess well. if it, I like it. I like if it's, it. If it's cheap, you know what I mean. Um. Next. I have some, and this is quite the. I bounced from one movie to this. <laughs> I um, picked up uh, Jules Dassin's Night in the City from Criterion. Nope. Um, I never, I've never seen this movie. I've seen a few uh, Jules uh, Jules Dassin films. 
Um, great director, but this by far is one of man. Like I'm not. I, I've seen a lot of film noir, but I'm not a film noir expert uh, by any means. But this is this is a movie that utilizes film noir to its method of storytelling. And I mean that in the sense of film noir sometimes is like, you know, since this is a horror podcast, I'll mention this. It's very much like the 80s throwback films. We have a setting. We have music. uh, We have cinematography. And we can do a film, uh, a, a throwback with just those things Without making a true throwback, does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Hmm. But I'll jump back to the um, film noir. He uses film noir in using the cinematography, the soundtrack, in order to create this sense of dread and this like gritty underbelly criminal world in London that has to deal with uh, God. What's his What's his name? Um, fucking shit i forget the fucking guy's name richard widmark is the guy that plays the role i can't think of his fucking name and harry fabian harry fabian so harry fabian plays this fucking low life just kind of jumping one thing to the other trying to you know make ends meet fucking stealing money from his you know his lady um just kind of a really grimy and gritty dude and he gets into this situation where he knows he can make some money off uh, a wrestler and setting up this wrestler uh, wrestler versus wrestler. The fucking killer wrestling uh, scene in here. If you think the fucking They Live is a good fight scene, <laughs> fucking Night in the City has this really like low-key wrestling uh, match that is kind of fucking like – it's kind of horrifying like in a way. It's – it's relentless. It just gets to the point of where you kind of just feel bad. You feel gross. You get a little sweaty. But anyways, a re- really great wrestling uh, wrestling scene. But Jules Dassin uses his cinematography in, in such a way to give this kind of this sense of dread to where when you see the char- certain characters, they're almost it's like they're lit differently. The cinematography changes from one character to the other. There's even certain scenes where there's, you know, black and white movies, there's a lot of gray. Mm-hmm. There's certain scenes where it's just fucking black and white. And it's like, you know, the film's not touched. This is a 4K scan of, a, um, you know, the original film. And without any altering at all, Jules Dassin pulls off this just this, this black as black you can get in the whitest white and it's just you kind of get lost with just those two colors, and it's not very colorful movie because it's black and white. But he he uses in the sense in just getting uh, to the characters and you know what they represent, uh, what their what their motivations are, uh, just getting to this like dirty fucking level of you know this underground London fucking. Uh, it's so fucking good. It's it's like even I, I don't want to give because it's literally about a wrestling match. Um, it's just about Fabian is just a con artist and he cons his way into making he sees a way to make a quick buck. 
without actually having any money himself behind it. So he uses people in order to kind of get this match together and make uh, you know false false promises and ends up getting in big fucking trouble. Um, and then it becomes kind of a, a crime noir to where you know now he is the bad guy, which he's always kind of the bad guy, but it's just so great when he comes on screen because he just gives this this presence and then the cinematography adds to it. It's truly a remarkable film, noir film. I have seen I've seen a lot. You know, it's just it, it's a really cool style that's used, but I, I've never seen a film to use it to its advantage like this as changing as the story progresses and you know the cinematography changes as it progresses especially being something from the 1950s and being black and white mm-hmm. i think that's necessarily kind of hard to do because you're just dealing with black and white but uh it really um it really turns it out so definitely something if you're a fan of film noir see it i think it's jules dassin's like last american film because he was uh i think he was blacklisted because he was known as a communist at this point, so then he never made any more American films. Kind of shitty. What was the name of that uh, that film? Night, Night in the, the city. city. Night in the City. Yeah, Night in the City. Fucking gorgeous, gorgeous transfer. Like, you know, sometimes when you get in the black and white with uh, with Blu ray, you kind of weigh this thing. It's black and white, so is Blu ray going to be better than DVD? Because. You know, there's just so much black and so much white you can do. But this is – I've seen quite a few now uh, on, on Blu-ray, and mm-hmm. I think that this one really, really takes the cake well, yeah, of looking, mean, looking amazing. And it's also – you know, that um, – you know, it's presented as, uh, you know, the the one – I always – Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, aspect ratio. Four by so, three or whatever. Yeah, yeah, four by – that's what I'm used to saying, four by three. Um, I always doubt myself when I say four by three. So you, you know, you got the you know black bars on the side, but it is, uh, yeah, dude. I think you would really dig this too. Well, I know that uh, Criterion's Night of the Hunter looks really, oh, really God, good. So good. Yeah. So I'm I'm a fan of black and white and Blu ray just because the blacks, if if you know coded right and transfer right, the blacks should look just dark and inky, and the whites should be bright, and it the grays this... should be great. It, yeah. This is I'm a one fan of, of those films. Black and white. So if you're a fan of uh, you know films like this, reminded me a lot at, of um, uh, Kiss of Death. Um, it it reminded me a, a lot like that of having that kind of sinister feel mm-hmm. throughout the film. So definitely uh, definitely something to pick up. If Jules Dassin film, pick it up. If you're a fan of film noir, pick it up. So. Uh, I can't recommend it enough because, you know, I I'm not that diverse in older films. So when I see something that really hits me hard like that, that really takes the cake. Like very suspenseful. You know, I'm not saying the movies in the '50s are not suspenseful, but we're so decent. It's like, a I'm different so de- kind of suspense. Yeah, I'm I'm so desensitized at this point, so it's hard for something that doesn't utilize you know uh, a hardcore soundtrack or very very loud or anything like that it, it's you know they use this like fucking film noir soundtrack with like horns and shit and piano and it's like they can still uh get enough of that together in order to to, to pull you into this film and make it suspenseful yeah. which i think is substantial because it feels timeless in a way you know how you feel about the film so um yeah definitely pick it up uh, next, quickly, 
I want you to buy this movie, Sean. <laughs> Um, another, uh, all of films in, in, um, in junction with slasher video released a boarding house on, um, on DVD. This was released, I think by code red back in the day. Um, this is a shot on video horror film. Uh, when it was released though, it was, uh, I think it's, I think it's one of the first shot on video horror films. Yeah. That's, what, not, I, that's what I've read. If not the first yeah. shot on video horror film. And then released to theaters as well. Oh. It was blown up to 35 um, in order to be released in theaters. Huh. But even though watching this is shot on video, at times you look at it and you're like, is this video? Like, <laughs> it's cheap, but it's really well shot. I don't know what fucking you know, tape recorder they use, but it looks really good at times to the point where it doesn't look like it's shot on video. Cause shot on video is pretty noticeable. Oh yeah. What they, maybe they were shooting on beta, beta, beta max or, I mean, there's Could be. like news, Could be. like I used to, I have a communi- communications major that I never used, but we had news, uh, You're using it now. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we learned how to do like news and stuff like that. And most of the news channels use like beta max to record okay. on. And it, it always looked better than VHS for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it looks great. Fucking ridiculous movie. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, this, this house has this haunted past where people, you know, die. This guy, um, this, this guy, Jim, buys it and basically makes it a boarding house for women to stay. Um, and people just start to die, <laughs> but it's, it's a supernatural telekinetic slasher. Nice. So it's really fucking weird and has so many fucking oddball hysterical moments. Um, like it's so hard to explain because what you C is just like I've seen a lot of shot on video stuff, and I'm really surprised I've never seen this before. I actually got this mixed up with a movie called Home Sweet Home. Um, so when I watched it, it was like, holy shit, I've never seen Boarding House. But seen a lot of shot on video stuff. Uh, you know, it, some most of it's you know you can in, enjoy it to an extent of laughing and mm-hmm. having a good time. But this truly is one of those films that's not doesn't have any downtime at all, which I'm kind of excited because this release is a two disc set. One, the one disc has the original theatrical version, which is 98 minutes. The director's cut is an hour and 57 minutes. Wow. So fucking <laughs> two hour and 30 minute shot on video horror film, which I'm really kind of excited to, to see. And I really wanted to watch it before we recorded, but I was so excited to talk about it. And I think people should pick it up, but like it's, it's kind of frustrating. The only thing I didn't enjoy about the movie is that you can tell where they cut the scene short because instead of the scene ending, it ends like a song where the volume just kind of starts to lower and then the screen starts to dim and just goes black and it ends in the middle of conversation sometimes. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just do a fade out. So it seems like this yeah. is what we were supposed to do. And it's like, no, 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 don't do that. Cause it takes you, it takes you out of the movie cause you want to know what's going on. And it happens quite often. Yeah. And I kind of lo- lost me in the movie a little bit. Cause it's like, okay, that's, you know, you're obviously cutting this for, you know, no one wants to watch a two hour, you know, two hour and 30 minute shot on video, you know, supernatural slasher with 
telekin- telekinesis. So, um, so yeah, watch the fucking ninety-eight minute version. I, I am definitely going to watch it. It's like it's that good and that silly, and just an all-around good time that I don't think two hours and thirty minutes would be hard to do. It's it's like, on my it's on my list, especially since it's so packed. Um, it's a bit pricey yeah, and, and that's the thing is but. like. This, I mean, it's seventeen ninety nine for a DVD, which I know people have trouble pulling the trigger on number one because it's DVD. But this is a fucking well, shot on video film. It's yeah. not going to look much better than what it does right now. But this has the, you know, the original theatrical version. It has the director's cut. It has a couple commentaries uh, between the director and slasher video. It has um, interviews with uh, kind of the cast and crew. It has music videos of the songs that play in the movie. <laughs> and the soundtrack to this is just so fucking good. Is this a heavy metal like, horror? Would this be considered heavy metal horror? Oh, no, no, this no. One, no. Is, that, is that another one you were telling me about? I uh, know the guy. Another one. No, yeah, the guy that is uh, – that's another thing I want uh, – talking about on on the thing if you'd let me get to it sean um um there's there's plenty of like you know uh music videos and stuff but there's also a special feature on here uh tear on tour revisited which um the uh the writer um writer and director um he was in Terror on Tour, which is a heavy metal horror film, which is fucking, you know, after so many years, this band goes on tour again. But at their concert, you know, these people start dying. Um, and it, it just kind of goes back with him talking because that's, you know, that's a lost film. I don't even yeah. think the the negative is in existence. It exists on VHS and it is so goddamn dark. You can't see anything. <laughs> it's kind of a chore to watch, to be honest with you, because it's it's so fucking dark. Um but it just kind of goes to back to his recollection of the film, which is which is kind of cool. It's not super long or anything like that, but um, you know, definitely gives a little insight with him because that's all he did. He acted in that. He wrote and directed this movie. Kind of dumbfounds me a little bit that he didn't do anything else because if he could do this much with a shot on video horror film and make it this entertaining, that gory, have a killer soundtrack, and just an all around good time for fucking ninety eight minutes. How come this guy didn't do another shot on video film or actually get a job um, doing, you know, something more mainstream? Um, Because I I enjoy shot on video horror, but there's a certain aesthetic to it. And just kind of sometimes you lose interest at times because they do drag on because they're trying to make the movie an hour and a half rather Mm -hmm. than probably the 45 minutes it could be told. But this film actually takes its time and – like, of course, it's not intentional for it to be funny, but good lord. Like, I, I don't fucking laugh out loud in movies sometimes, but I was fucking cracking up in this in my living room alone. <laughs> so that r- rarely happens, and this is a really fucking good good time. Sweet. Good flick. Sweet. Really enjoyed it. So, anyways, pick up Boarding House, Night at the City. All good recommendations, and sometimes they come back. I don't think you would be... I think it's something for everybody because yeah. we got a film noir film in there with next to a shot on video horror film and a you know adaptation from Stephen King. So that's quite the bunch. Nice. I uh, I actually wasn't able to watch anything uh, other than what we're covering today, but I did want to bring up the Arrow Hellraiser Scarlet Box. I got I got it in the mail, and uh, good ge- good baby Jesus, this thing good is uh, baby it's, Jesus. it's a beautiful little box. Um, 
It it comes it with looks this, great. It comes it with this looks- book about you know Hellraiser and everything and. And it was out of print, so it's like it's funny because I, I pre-ordered it, and I kept going back and forth whether or not that I would I would get it or not. And by the time the price had dropped on Amazon UK, it was it cost me I think about fifty five bucks shipped. So I was like, I'd be stupid to cancel this thing because it's so stupid. cheap. And then it sold out before you know before it even shipped. So I'm super glad that I got it. But I, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is. Uh, because Arrow is going to be doing, they did this for Battle Royale. They're going to be doing a kind of standard Blu-ray set yeah. trilogy of Hellraiser one, two, and three in the the uh, clear plastic cases in a in a big old slip case. Um, the only thing that's going to be missing is, you know, of course, the packaging and the book. But everything else, the extras, the new transfers, everything is going to be there. It looks like it's going to be about the same price. It could drop once they release it, but that's something to kind of keep an eye on. If you miss the Scarlet box, um, there is, there, you can still get these. And, uh, rumor is possibly next year or the next, or there's, it will be a domestic release of the Hellraiser films at some point, but that's just something to keep in, in on the back burner, you know, if you yeah. don't want to. But, um, if you have a region free player and you're, you're a fan of Hellraiser, you know, if you missed the only on the reason I didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, well, if you missed on the Scarlet Box, well, I, I'm a I'm I'm a fan, but uh, of the first two anyway, I haven't seen the third one, but um, but anyway, they're they're not you're not out of luck. You can still get these, and you, the only thing you're missing is is the book, which honestly, like in these special limited edition things, I mean, they look great on the shelf, but I rarely ever pull out the books or the posters or anything else. They all just kind of sit in there. It's all about the transfer for me, so, so right. I'll probably end up picking up the. You know, just the standalone yeah. will be fine. It'll probably once once like an arrow sale hits or something like that, you, you'll probably yeah. be able to get it for a good price. So they're so. knocking it out of the park lately, man. They oh my are. gosh, man! These recent announcements. That what? fucking American Horror Project. Oh my gosh, is going to be fucking epic. That's just volume one. I can't fucking wait. Ugh. So that volume one contains the witch who came from the sea, which I can't fucking recommend enough. Uh, Carnival of Blood and the Premonition. Um, I've seen the Premonition, but it was a long, long time ago. I've never seen Carnival of Blood, so I'm uh, I'm excited to see those. So I'm I'm really hoping that they are churning out these American horror projects more than hopefully fre- uh, frequently. But like you know, it's such I a mean, great idea. In the next in the next couple months, we have Blood Rage. The Mutilator, and What Have You Done to Solange? And, like, those three alone, like, I I don't know if I'll be able to contain my excitement sitting in my fucking living room holding <laughs> Blood Rage and the Mutilator on Blu-ray. Those are like, right up your alley. That's, that's like... That doesn't seem like... Incredible. That doesn't seem possible to, possible to me still. Because sometimes, like, I'll hold a movie. It's just the same thing as, like, the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-rays. Like, holding that, I'm like... I'm holding these movies on Blu-ray. Like someone gave the time of day for these fucking movies. Yeah. Yep. Which, you know, it's just nice to know that there's people as passionate about these kind of quirky oddball movies, um, out there that, that care and give them, you know, just don't do some fucking shitty release. They actually take the time and go through and really, really make this the definitive, uh, definitive release of each of these movies so but u.s arrow like i know they're expensive guys but like everything they're releasing is so substantial and just so fucking good 
I mean, it's cra- it's dude, it's it's criteria level criterion is, level shit. Is the criteria? I mean, like, it, yeah, I, I don't buy every single criterion thing. It's one of those things that I buy. You know, if the movie's up my alley, yeah, I'll buy it. I know some people buy all the Criterion releases all the time. There's there's certain movies that just they're just too artsy fartsy for me. I'm not that sorry. I'm not that much of a cinephile, but there are certain movies. Whoa, that I'll grab. Sean. Well, there's certain you know certain movies that I that I'm like no, I will no, never no, watch I, this. I, I, uh, no, I'm the same way. Like, it, it, but it, Arrow, it, it's like <laughs> Arrow is like taking over for that stuff. Like, you know, every now and then Criterion releases something like Mulholland Drive or The Brood or something like that. It's like, but Arrow is almost taking the place the of that, you know, yeah. and everything they release is just up my alley, you know, are definitely something we want to check out. And they give it that treatment. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's, and also that whole thing, I, I mean, the same thing as I think in December comes, um, the, the battles without honor humanity. Oh my gosh. Fucking start saving up because that that, <laughs> that thing's gonna be like a hundred bucks, but that has some fucking great movies in it. Yeah, and oh. I already have a guest scheduled for that show, and I think he knows who he is. I haven't said it to Sean yet, but get ready, Jay. Oh man, because oh man, you're gonna so you're gonna make me shell out some cash because I'm gonna have to watch these. Oh, dude, no, you will not regret it. Like, <laughs> it's December. This comes out in four weeks. Okay, Christmas money. All right? Christmas 25, money. $25 a week. Put it in your pocket. Okay, I, I'm totally. I you will can do definitely, that. yep, totally. All right. set some cash aside. Because it's limited edition to 3000 yeah. as well. So, yep. but oh I'm God. telling you, man, those movies are fucking. I, have, I, I don't think I've seen them all. See, it's, it's stuff like this that makes me. Like we've been talking about digital and between digital and and Blu-ray and stuff like that. This this kind of stuff makes me want to go through and find all my mainstream stuff, get but it I all can't digitized. Wait to see what that and fucking box looks. Buy like. stuff like this. I want to spend my money on oddball box sets like this. Like I'm getting goosebumps. Sure. Goosebumps right now just thinking about what that box is going to look like. Oh my gosh! Because if I it's mean, anything that... like that, uh, Kurosawa. No, no, not Kurosawa, but the Blind Swordsman uh, box set from oh, Criterion. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude! Just the, just the, and the thing is, just the, the box, the cover box, uh, for the, um, for the Martino and Fulci, uh, box set for the Black Cats, oh. like that thing is just so fucking heavy and so <laughs> dark and thick and black. It is fucking beautiful. I love. It looks it. like a fucking old time book. Yeah, I love how it's they great. do. It's the same thing. Like the Scarlet, uh, the Scarlet box is just. They really do sink good money into making these boxes substantial, you know, for your shelf. Yeah. Like they're not these cheap rip off things. Anyway, we can gush all day long about Aero films. Let's yeah. jump into the few, the three films we're going to be talking to oh, talking yeah. about. Let's, uh, let's go and start off with Mulholland drive. Jesus Christ. Dude, we got so much to, I, I'm sorry. This is, <laughs> this is just too much for me. It's okay. All we right. can, uh, you know, we can, we can kind of hit the fine yeah, points I mean, of each one. Things, and things I, I, I mean, I think Mulholland Drive is going to be the longest. What happened? There was an accident. A car accident. From David Lynch, the director of Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet. Could be someone's missing. The girl is missing. Down. 
from Deep River, Ontario, and now I'm in this tree place. don't know who I am. That money, you don't know where it came from. Oh, by the way, those two detectives came by again looking for you. Someone is in trouble. Something bad is happening. Now you got me scared. There is no band. And yet, we hear a band. Silencio. I remember something. <laughs> what is it, Rita? What is it? What do you see? Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive? That's where I was going. Diane, the car's waiting. You coming? This is the one I kind of want to unpack the most. And this was my first time really sitting down and watching Mulholland Drive. I remember I had rented this back in college because I was like, oh, David Lynch, I'm going to give David Lynch. This was the first... This had to have been, no, this was, I had seen the movie Lost Highway, and I think at the time that was my first David Lynch film that I'd actually sat down and watched, amazingly enough, was Lost Highway, mainly because Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor had something to do with the soundtrack, so I was like, that's how I found out, was it Rob Zombie too? Uh, no, Romstein. Rom- oh, Romstein, that's right. So that was on my radar, and I checked it out, and then I was like, oh, this David Lynch guy, let me check out his other films. I'd rented Mul- Mulholland Drive, and I think... I just didn't get it at the time. Either I fell asleep and then had to return the video the next day or something. Um, all I know is I never finished the film, and I think I only had gotten like a half hour into it. So this was I almost a – it's been so many years. It was my first you know, time really sitting down with Mulholland Drive. And god damn, man, this film. Like it's like a two – is it two and a half hours? Two and a half hour like dream it's a fucking nightmare slash yeah nightmare i mean it really i i thought i kind of knew where it was going and then the way david lynch what he's so good at is inner is kind of weaving in these kind of nightmarish dreamlike sequences and and threads into the story and totally derails any like you'd think it's a point a to point b you know um film you know with a beginning middle and a climax right that you but he just unravels these films, and this one especially because it seems you you think you're just going to get some sort of noir thriller, and slowly he just unravels the characters, unravels the plot, up to the point where the last thirty minutes, the last half hour or twenty minutes, I had to kind of pause it and be like, "Am I watching the same movie? What the hell is going on?" And I had to kind of you know go, I had to take a break for a second and come back and then finish the film. Once I kind of understood that everything that I'd seen previous was either happened or didn't happen, it, I don't know. This is a phenomenal movie, and there's just so much, so many layers. I, I really would love to watch this again. I mean, this is the type of film you'd watch, you would write like an essay on, like film in a film class or something, just to unpack all the themes. When when did you first uh, watch Mulholland Drive? It was. I mean, I, don't, I couldn't imagine you being young watching this. Um, well, I definitely saw it uh, during its. I think I saw it as a new release on the shelf. So, was it, what year did it come out? Two thousand, kind of two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I would have been, you know, fucking junior in high school or yeah. whatever. Um, so, 
Actually, I think our uh, one of our guests, who is the um, Andrew Davis expert, um, <laughs> Brian Knowles, I think he's the one that kind of told me about it. Because at this point, I really wasn't into Lynch. You know, I, I don't think I discovered Lynch yet. Um, and you know, this is before, you know, like Eraserhead was, you know, available, uh, you know, at any time. Yeah. It was just bootlegs and, you know, DVD was just kind of releasing stuff as it went along. Um, so yeah, he, he told me about it and, um, you know, I, I watched it and it, it, it scared me. It, it did not just because of the, you know, the conversation with Dan and Herb and the, in, uh, what's the name of the place? Uh, right, that, that diner winkies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but it, it's just, it, it is kind of a nightmare and, mm-hmm. and, it, and I, I think it's, I think it's a cool, story because it was it was always something funny because uh, the story behind the film got out later on um so talking with people with it that you know are like oh did you you know it's like i watched Mulholland drive but i really didn't understand what was going on and they're like <laughs> idiot <laughs> it's like if you actually know the story about it Mulholland drive isn't supposed to make sense Right, it's not supposed to. It's a failed uh, television show. Yes, that's that. You know, that uh, is an amazing aspect of this, show, of this movie. So, you know, hearing the backstory of it to where you know this was a TV pilot um, and brought into a feature film. He he had he had so much of the story going, but he um, you know he he abandoned kind of the, the the project for a little bit and then came back to it. And if I recall, like. You know, the sets were gone, the costumes were gone, so he, he could, didn't have anything to go on. Like, continuity was basically ruined. <laughs> so he pieced this, uh, you know, this pilot and TV show together in order to make, uh, you know, a conclusion, quote-unquote conclusion, and something that was satisfying uh, to Lynch's standards, you know, to, to say, you know, this is, this is his film. If you know anything about Lynch, Lynch is probably – satisfactory rate is very weird so you know <laughs> david lynch is satisfied with something but that just means it's probably ultra fucking weird <laughs> right <laughs> and, and that's kind of what Mulholland drive is and i think that's a cool cool concept because we're in kind of uh a dream world it feels like a dream it is a dream mm-hmm. we're trying to decipher what's real what is she dreaming what is actually going on these parallel stories are they matching up to with what is happening to our lead characters? And um, I, I don't know. It's just it, it feels like a, it feels like a dream that turns into a nightmare. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a unique uh, a unique movie in the sense of everything kind of where it stemmed from to what it you know was completed as. In it is a fully functional movie. But in the sense of it bring, being a dreamlike sequence or, you know, a dreamlike state of mind. Yeah. So uh, upon watching the film the first time, uh, I recall being very frightened um, because I watched it really late at night after I like, got off work or something. And uh, the, the sequence between Dan and Herb in, in the restaurant really freaked me out. Like there's very few things that. I can remember legitimately scaring me. Um, and I don't know. It's just that, that setting, that tone, 
that music, mm-hmm. uh, the actors just using that. I mean, that guy really does seem so terrified. And when a, when a character can, you know, has that ability to just pour that out on screen to make you scared, and you don't even know what the fuck's going on. You know, it's just like he, he just he just starts talking. And you have no idea what he's talking. About. Yeah. But he just draws you in. And, and, and I don't know that from that and just kind of everything else, how the movie unfolds. Um, I, I kind of like the mystery behind it. I think that's why it does work, even if it is isn't this fully complete movie. I, I feel that it does work to an extent, um, you know, very much like a dream. We can't explain everything. So right. you wake up from a dream and like, tell me about your dream, you know, and it's like yeah, it, I, I don't, trying to piece a dream together is almost impossible after the fact. Yeah. And like, I, I see a lot of people, you know, I've said that before about this film and they said, oh, he's just a cop out for Lynch to make a, you know, a weird movie. And I said, I, I don't I don't really think so, because in in the part of him making this television uh, television show or, you know, this pilot trying to create this series as much as what he did with Twin Peaks, uh, Twin Peaks is operates in the same mentality. It seems, Mm -hmm. you know, I've watched Twin Peaks a couple times and it it draws you into its bizarre, weird world that, um, you know, that, that, that we're stuck in. And in the same thing, if, if you watched any Lynch film other than maybe, Straight story. I think straight story is his only like. <laughs> I don't even. Co- what? I, I don't even like. I always forget that he directed that. Yeah. Well, if or for our listeners, if you don't know, David Lynch directed a Disney movie. <laughs> um. So, anyways, I mean, straight story is uh, based on a true story, but it's the most coherent and well versed and just flat out one point A to point B story yeah. that Lynch has ever done. I mean, everything else from Wild at Heart to Blue Velvet to Eraserhead to his short films to Inland Empire to Lost Highway, you know, to this. I know I'm probably missing a film or two in there. But Lynch has this way of telling a story to where it makes you guess. It makes you it, – it creates this mystery. Yeah. Um, want, may, want, wanting more, but I think in this sense, making it dreamlike – feels like a dream even to the viewer as well as you know the entire audience as a viewer and the characters themselves um is that intentional is that a mistake is that a cop-out i don't know i enjoy the film i enjoy for what it creates and the world that it it stands on i i think it's a substantial I think it's a fucking horror film in a way. It's the one thing I was telling you earlier when we were texting back and forth. Lynch would be the probably best fucking psychological horror film director ever. Yeah. Well, I think if that's why If like. he did something more straightforward. And yes, Eraserhead is kind of a horror film. Kind of, sort of. But I think that's why but I like Lost Highway so much. All his films are like that. Yeah, yeah it's the same thing. Yeah. Lost Highway, just that one actor – that one guy that kind of shows up with that face, the eye, is it, uh, who's that actor that plays, um, is it Udo Kier that's in? Yeah, Udo Kier, yeah. Whenever he, is it, was it when he shows up? Um, I could be wrong. No, I don't think it's Udo Kier, but there's this actor that shows up, I can't remember his name. Whenever he shows up, oh, it's Robert Blake. It's fucking Robert Blake. Oh, God, dude, he's so fucking terrifying. Yeah, he dude. is. Let's mention. Like, here's my weekly plug of Asylum Blackout. Go watch it. He plays the killer in Asylum <laughs> Blackout. He's fucking great. But whenever he's on screen on Lost Highway, it's it's completely unsettling. And I think I feel like Lost Highway is the closest Lynch has gotten. I mean, I haven't seen all of his movies. There's 
ton of movies I need to see that are on my, you know, uh, there's movies that I should have seen by now, but I haven't. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Richard Brake, not Blake. Oh, okay. you're, you're thinking of, yeah, Robert Blake. Yeah. That. Yeah, you're, you're thinking of Robert Blake who yes. plays the, um, I mean, he fucking, uh, he was in shit. Was, he's in fucking, he plays Beretta. Yeah, he's, wasn't he convicted of killing his wife or something? He's Tony Beretta. He was? Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, no, he was acquitted. Sorry, sorry. He was acquitted. Whoa, but he was, man, you're uh, about to throw people under the bus right there. <laughs> he was on, on I, I just remember the Robert Blake trial. But, um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, I was thinking of Richard Brake. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, go see Asylum Blockout. It's it's fucking great. Hey, as, as long as, you know, plug, plug another movie, might as well. But, but yeah, Lynch is, you know, I haven't seen all, all of his movies, but the ones I've seen, you know, he's up there with some of my, one of my favorite directors. I mean, I mean, The Elephant Man is probably one of the other ones that's pretty straightforward. I love that oh, film. Oh, yeah, uh, Elephant Man. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to, I, he's like, a lot, he's done a lot of movies. Uh, Dune. Yeah. I'm, yeah, a, did Dune. I'm a total fan of Dune. I don't give a shit what anyone says. Like, I love that film. I love how it looks. It, the, but that even, even Dune has this dreamlike, you know, feel to it, you know, and where it's not, not everything's, you know, cut and dry. It's it's a very operatic and very dreamlike film. But I think that's what Lynch brings to his films is that surreal feeling. You know that you maybe you've been there before, maybe you haven't. Maybe maybe is this real? that's going on right now, or or isn't it? I think he does a great job of of blending all that together. And anything that kind of straddles the line of being weird, you know, I I am going to be drawn to, and, and that's where Mulholland Drive, where it feels like it's going to be this kind of neo-noir mystery film about this woman that wakes up, or definitely a genre match. She wakes up with uh, amnesia, ends up in Naomi Watts's mom's apartment, and Naomi Watts is this, like, corn-fed, you know, blonde woman coming to L.A. to make it big in, in the movie business. And the way that she plays that kind of naive um actress in this film was great and dude what a, her audition scene is like so like uncomfortable yet steamy at the same time yeah <laughs> and yeah, there's uh, a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is yeah it, it's very it's hot, like it's even when the scenes aren't trying to be sexual they're sexual yeah like it's very you know even some homoerotic stuff as well as, you know, lesbians and, and just P P and the V stuff. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm saying, but that's, it's kind of Lynch's, uh, you know, just what he does. I mean, fucking Wilder Heart, Blue Velvet, you know, those films. I, I mean, he has a couple of the more straightforward. So I guess, yeah, Elephant Man would be another one. Yeah. Um, but I think he's operating best when he's, on more of the macabre side of things when he's on drugs. <laughs> yes. Well, if you hear Lynch in an interview, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so, um, I just realized that we, this movie has James Karen in it, and we talk about Return of Living Dead 2 later. Nice. Using that. So Perfect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very surreal, like, little nightmare that's happening, and, you know, just watching unfold, I think, is... <sighs> It's 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 nerve wracking, and and I think trying to understand kind of what this 
conspiracy that is happening in the foreground trying to decipher what's a dream what's not i i i think it's one of i i wouldn't be hesitant i i think blue velvet is probably his best movie but i I think this goes kind of hand in hand with blue velvet and blue velvet kind of does the same thing it has that perfect white picket fence setting Mm -hmm. and then turns into this fucking nightmare it really does. I mean, you have a white picket fences, Kyle McLaughlin walking around, he finds a severed ear, and then his whole world flips upside down. You know, and we dive into this fucking nightmare with, you know, um, Dennis Hopper and Isabella Rosalini and uh, – uh, what's that other guy's name played in that TV show? Dean Stockwell. You know, it's just this um, – is it Dean Stockwell? Dean Stockwell, John Stockwell. No, John Stockwell's from Christine. <laughs> directed Touristus. Tur- Tourists. You know he directed that? No. John Stockwell directed that movie. I'm pretty sure he did. I might be off my rocker. But anyways, yeah, Dean Stockwell. Um, I, I just I, he has this unique way of storytelling to uh, even though how much fantasy is there, he has these really good bits of reality that puts you in uh, the perspective of the protagonist's uh, shoes mm-hmm. and you get to live that with them. And I mean, you have to really be in the movie. It's, it's, it's Lynch's movies. Isn't something you can have on the background, be on your fucking computer or phone and be watching it. Like you really have like the best way to watch a Lynch movie is fucking light some candles, get some baby lotion, turn off all the lights. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa. Baby lotion. Yeah. And uh, you know, go to town. That makes it sound like you're masturbating. But anyways, um, no, I'm just saying like to to really comprehend and to get into Lynch's mind, I really think it's best if it's completely quiet. There's I mean, that's any way to watch a movie in a way. But I think truly this is this is something to where this one especially really have to. Yeah. And it's not it's not an excuse because the movie's so off its rocker. I just think in order to – I think it's supposed to affect you more than just watching a movie. I, I, I think it's really supposed to fuck with your head and get inside you. Um, and I think that's a lot of Lynch's films, yeah. especially this one. Well, this one feels kind of like – like you said, like how I started off with the kind of being a TV pilot or a TV show. I mean it feels like a true work of art because most artists, they have a blank canvas in front of them. And, they, and a lot of times they'll start painting something. And the end result could be so far removed from what their original intent was. And like this, like Mulholland Drive to me feels like, like film as art in its purest form, just because of, of how it evolved from the original. Um, there's one scene, like, I mean, I, I can totally see how this could be a TV show because there's that one, uh, hitman and the whole scene where it's like he's failing on this hit. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's like obviously it's so there's much- there's some parallel stories that are supposed to continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I would I would love to see more of that guy and his story because he's that scene is so funny in a, a dark comedy at his best, where he has this he has to execute this hit on this guy and steal a book, but people keep showing up and he keeps having to off them, as more and more people start showing yeah. up and seeing what's going on. I mean, it's. That scene, that scene's fantastic, and it and it kind of never really goes anywhere. Really, after after that, you know, I mean, he shows. I think yeah. he shows up a couple more times, but it, 
but he's he's given this much time in this film to have this really memorable scene and then it just the movie just keeps on going and with or without him it's going to keep on going to where it eventually ends up yeah and i think that's just lynch's mind and just kind of you know what happened to him he he obviously pulled things that he really loved that he did, but maybe he just didn't get to continue them, and he didn't want to go let him go to waste. Right. So, uh, you know, what would be really cool with this, and I, I don't, you know, it's not insulting to Lynch, I don't think, but kind of cut out all this stuff and just really focus on, um, uh, uh, like Betty Helms. Or Betty Betty Elms? Is it Helms or Elms? I can't remember the the character. Oh well, yeah, names. well it's just Betty. Yeah, I mean just just kind of just kind of Naomi Watts character. Yeah, just kind of you know in the in the same thing with like uh, with with Rita Laura Laura Herring's character and you know the, the detectives, especially Robert Forrester's performance in this is 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 astounding. But just kind of make more of a straightforward, you know, uh, in-depth look at them. I, I would really like to see that movie as well. Well, I think it could I, be I like done. The movie as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I think there could be kind of a fan edit of this. Um, because, I mean, even, like, the the thing between Dan and Herb in, in, the, um, in the diner, like, that could be a short horror film. Yeah, totally. You know, because it, it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And, but that... That shows you, I, I think, to, to prove my point and to put this at rest, I think that makes my point of what Lynch can do in a matter of four minutes. He can introduce you to no two characters with no exposition, no preface to the story, nothing. Mm-hmm. But two guys in a diner probably have two minutes of dialogue between these two and scare the fucking shit out of you. Yeah, well, Patrick Fischler's... You know, he's one of those character actors that I that really you know, owns that scene. Oh God! <laughs> so you came here to see if it's really out there, and yeah. it's like he's like uh, to get rid of that feeling, and it's like, oh God, dude, if you fucking walk behind that diner, I am going to shit in my pants. And they get up <laughs> and they start to go behind that diner, and still that scene gives me the biggest fucking goosebumps. It's fantastic, man. It's so Jesus well executed. Christ. I mean, it's worth the movie just for that scene, yeah. I think. Like, it has nothing, like, is basically no pragmatic purpose to the movie whatsoever. None at all. But it works so well. But it, that's the thing. It just helps really kind of set the tone, I think. But yeah, it this, gives that, just, it just, gives that worldly feeling. Yeah. And, and, and I've said this about, certain movies before is that Lynch creates his own world Mm -hmm. in in his films. Like there's nowhere, you know, there's some little fucking castle rock town somewhere that this (laughs) all unfolds. It's the same thing as like the batshit crazy shit that happens in, you know, King movies. It happens in castle rock. Boom. It's off the map. You can't find it, you know? And it's like one of these like small towns that, is in existence, but all this weird shit happens and people just like play it off like it's a normal day. Yeah. And I, I think that that alternate reality is is a lot of fun with Lynch's films because you sit there and like, man, could this like ever happen? Well, it could happen in this town. <laughs> you know, I mean, Mulholland Drives happens the exact, you know, across the street from where Blue Velvet unfolds. And well, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern are driving by in a car in Wild at Heart. Yeah, well, like, I mean, it all feels from that same world. Right. Lynch creates this. Like, it's his own purpose. version of L.A. 
Like it, it's this weird. Ooh, that's a good lynch, one. I like that. You know, the Lynch lens on LA because especially the play with like all the Hollywood stuff in Mulholland yeah, Drive. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, a good one. It's like this I mean, obviously kind of, Mulholland Drive. But yeah, well, yeah, but even just, with the filmmaking aspect, there's this tongue-in-cheek aspect of how he approaches you know the filmmaking industry in this in Mulholland Drive. It's almost satirical. In a sense, yeah. you know, and he has an insider view of Hollywood and he, and he plays with it. And it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. I'm very happy, yeah. very happy. Yeah. I, very happy. I finally gave this film a chance. Um, yeah. the Criterion disc looks amazing and yeah. there's a booklet ex- in it explaining the, everything about the making of the film and how, what the original intent was. It's a really great read. And, um, I, I, uh, where the hell did, did, did I thought I had the disc around here, but I don't. But it's probably probably <clears throat> in your bathroom, maybe with your baby oil, maybe. But uh, it's definitely worth. I mean, when I saw this came up on Criterion, I pre-ordered it yeah. right away. I was I hesitate. was on board. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a great looking disc. You need to you guys need to pick it up. We need to move along here. We got a few more things to talk about. I think and, Blue uh, Velvet needs a Criterion release. <clears throat> Me too. That's is that that has a Blu-ray release, doesn't it? But it's not, yeah, yeah, it's, it's on a UK Blu-ray and a oh, US okay. Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I think I have it on Blu-ray, but I don't. It's funny because in in the booklet or on the DVD, uh, Lynch insisted that they put the Roger Ebert review in there, <laughs> and Roger Ebert fucking hated the movie. And it's really funny because Lynch embraced that review like a motherfucker. I. Th- if I think most good directors would would do that, like you know, I I really respect directors that kind of that will take these horrible reviews and just embrace the shit out of them, especially one from Roger, Roger Ebert. I mean, Vincent Gallo did Brown Bunny with Roger Ebert. Oh wow! Except he called Roger Ebert like a fucking fat slob in hopes that he chokes and dies. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not necessarily embracing the criticism. Though, <laughs> I don't think. All right, well, moving he did, along here. Because I think he really enjoyed that review, but in the sense of like, I'm missing Gallo, I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> well, obviously. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move along here. Let's talk about 1981's Roar. This is a madhouse. No, it is. It's just like life. You get the funny with the tragic. Here we are in Eden, though we walk the stage, almost midway. Directed and starring... Noel, is it Noel or Noel? Noel Marshall, as well as Melanie Griffith and Tippi Hedren. They were uh, a family, right? I mean, wasn't Noel married to Tippi Hedren and Melanie Griffith was their daughter? Is that, uh, is yes, that Melanie Griffin is uh, the daughter of, is it Tippi Hedren? Choosing the Birds. Yeah. Yes. I think so. That yes. is, yes. that is, um, um, it's, well, I mean, it's, she was married to, Peter Griffin, and that's where Melanie come from. Okay, but this film—I mean, I don't even know where to start. There's with no it. way to, in order to cast this movie, you have to cast your own family, right? Well, apparently they were already living with lions. Like already, Noel Marshall was this guy who was all about these lions and living with them. They lived with them for like five years or something before they started filming. And Tippi Hedren now is this she she rescues big cats, and that's kind of been her life's work. So my knowledge is they just wanted to kind of as a project to bring awareness, I guess, 
two <laughs> endangered species and things like that, they decided to do this film. And I, I'm guessing Noel Marshall, they had some motives to bring attention to these big cats and to put them on screen. And the, the, the plot of the film was very straightforward. I believe this guy lives with these, all these lions for some reason, these guys want to kill the lions and his family happens to come be visiting him (laughs) at the house and there's fucking lions and panthers and cheetahs everywhere. I don't, I mean, I felt like they, I mean, they obviously just had the cameras rolling and said, okay, act, these lines are here. Try to get from, try to get through the front door and go through the house. Yeah. And just is, act natural. This is, a, <laughs> this is another movie where, <laughs> where we get to tell a nightmare, but in a completely different way. It's, oh my gosh, man. Because the reason why I'm attracted to Roar isn't because of it's a good movie. <laughs> and, uh, like, a, I've said in the past, it isn't really rewatchable. No, but it's entertaining to watch for the first time because it's like it's like a real jackass, like the the TV <laughs> show Jackass. It's like really watching idiots because he gets to make them. It's, this is like putting people, just ordinary people, in the fucking wilderness with a bunch of lions. I mean, because number one, okay, they're lions. They're trained. They're tame. They're trained. But it's still a fucking lion. Like when lions, like when a dog plays or a cat plays, it play bites you. It scratches you. It hurts. Imagine if that was a fucking lion. (laughs) You know, lions play. They're cats. They have claws. They touch you. They shred your face. You know, they play bite you. They crush your skull. It's that type of thing. And and just watching, like, who the fuck, like, how do you get a production? That's not like, who greenlit this? Who? Well, that's the thing. It's like, obviously, you did this as a, as a group, as a family. But, I mean, having so many people on set, and, like, they even embrace the tagline now. Like, set, no animals were harmed <laughs> during the making of this movie, but 70 people were. Right. Uh, John DeBont, which is a famous, you know, director now, was fucking almost mauled to death. And this is like his first movie working in Hollywood. And he almost fucking dies in the film. He, like I think it was I was reading he like had 120 stitches or something. There's pictures of it. Um, it's just fucking like it's terrifying. And the funny part about the movie is you get to watch the actors really be terrified because they legitimately are scared. Because you can just tell at points in the film where they are fucking terrified. Yeah, there, there's a there's a story when on the on the special features where somebody was some Japanese investors were coming up to the property to see the set, and uh, Noel comes bursting out of the front door completely naked with blood just gushing down from his neck all down his body, <laughs> running <God>. out, <laughs> and, and it's like how they got financing is just is ridiculous. Things like with things like that happening. Um, with Melanie Griffith getting clawed in the face, you, you mentioned. Did you mention that? Um, no, no. But she yeah, gets she, clawed. She had to do, have reconstructive surgery, and she was a teenager when that happened. You know. God, I mean, how do you like? Here's the here's the thing. Is like, okay, I mean, seventy people were injured. That could be anything from you know a slight scratch to whatever. It's never really in in detail, but there are 
documented occurrences where at least 10 people were severely injured on set. Yeah. How do you continue a movie after one person well, is severely injured? Apparently it took like four or five years to make this film because they kept out. They would That's have to wait. That's the scary part. Until someone would they heal. Kept, they kept <laughs> waiting and going back to this movie. Like yeah. if I'm sitting there and I am a script supervisor or a production assistant and I'm amongst a bunch of lions and I see two of my friends get hurt, I'm going to have – the balls to say, look, man, I am done. Well, that's, like, I think a lot of people did walk off. I, a lot of people uh, did say, screw this, we're out, you know, and some people I mean, obviously, that's probably why it t- took so long. Yeah. But, it, but it's it funny take, because. Did it take that long to film or was it that long for it to actually get into theaters? I think to, I mean, I think to film, I think they kept having to take breaks. To, you know, to let people heal, certain people to heal. I mean, Melanie Griffith had, she had to have reconstructive surgery, you know, and then come back and finish the film, I, I think. And, it, and it's funny How because. How terrifying would that be? It's like getting hit in the face when you have glasses on for the first time. Yeah. You're always scared of getting hit in the face with your it's glasses. Like you can't play sports because you're too – like you were not active enough to jump in there because yeah. you're afraid your glasses are going to get knocked out. The scenes where they're in the house for the first time, like there is genuine fear on their face. And every time they're trying to hide from a lion or – it it just seems like shit just started happening and they just had to keep going. And – the the fear oh, is God. real on, on their faces, and it, it's just it's incredible to watch, especially for the first time. Uh, I don't know, man. It, this this film was just crazy. And when he when 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 Noel Marshall like he'll be playing with the lions. Oh, here you go, and they'll like jump on him and knock him down, yeah, and he'll dude. get up. But he looks so fucking terrified <laughs> doing it, and it's like. That's the part that attracts me about the movie is you're watching it and it's like, please stop. Someone yeah. Tell this guy, dude, like put some – get a stunt guy and don't have – like there's so many goddamn like lions and even the parts where they are playing but they're kind of attacking. The it's scene keeps scary, happening. <laughs> you know? And it's like when those guys are like in the river – Oh my like, God. they're grabbing the lion. They're actually fighting for their life, <laughs> it looks like. And they probably are because they're fucking lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> like, all this shit's unfolding. And it's like, dude, like, you just, like, I remember sitting in the theater watching this movie with my hands over my face. Like, oh, my God. You know, I was like, I'm going to watch this crazy movie about lions. And it was like watching a 90-minute, like, when animals attack episode <laughs> of just this ongoing family that was dumb enough to to film with these these fucking lions it's and crazy. oh my god dude i i would be a nervous wreck yeah. on set the the making like, of it funny just one lion i know put me over it, the edge. but this is not just a couple lions this is wall to wall lions oh god when like, they you know, go like, in the house in, in the house <clears throat> Ugh. But the funny thing is on the making of, they they go back and they revisit some of these places, and everyone involved seems to look back on it as a great memory, a great time. Like they ha- it's, it's almost like, <clears throat> I don't know, like it was the most terrifying time of their lives, but they 
survived, so now it's this positive memory. Oh, <laughs> you know? God, you're right. <clears throat> this team-building thing that brought them all together. Ugh. So, it's, uh, it, it, this thing... This movie is an experience. It's uh, it's not, like, it's not even, like, I can't even clarify, you know, classify <laughs> this as a movie. This is an experience to watch as as a movie lover um, and just to watch these people like awards should just be handed out to this movie (laughs) just for completing it. Right. Exactly. Like movies go in development hell and they can't be made or something happens on set. Harrison Ford broke his arm. So production set back six, six months. Great. Fucking Melanie Griffith is 16 and gets her, face torn off oh man we're just gonna push back filming and then we're gonna come back with her and film more of the lions so there's a chance that somebody else is gonna get mauled to death yeah yeah oh my it's, god dude. it's crazy um when i bought this this was like 9.99 on, Am- on amazon it's like the price has shot up so i don't know if they've only printed a limited amount of you know, Produced a limited amount of these. Well, it's all with films in association with Draft House. Yeah. So, because um, I don't know what happened with that, because Draft House is the ones that put it out in theaters. Uh-huh. Um, they're the ones that kind of rescued the film and and put it out. But I guess uh, they had the theatrical rights, but all of the films had the physical media. Yeah. You know, the, the Blu-ray and digital rights to it because it it's it's spine numbered by all of not Draft House, right? Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I I don't know where the right you know what happened because it just seems like all of films wouldn't have their hands, but maybe it's a joint effort. But it seems that Draft House Films does their own thing now, so I don't know. I'm yeah. kind of confused to what happened. Yeah. This does have some special features and shit on it, which no, all it's great. Films never it, has. It, yeah, it it is it is a great package. I'm I'm just surprised that, that the price went up so much. And you know, with these films, they always want to make sure everyone can see these affordably. But um, if you can find this on on eBay or, or whatever for a decent price, um, it, it Amazon says there's only four left. I'm not sure. Maybe you'd want to. I'm not how much sure. Are they, how much are it's they? It's like now? 28 bucks. Get it from Mike Sandlin at Grindhouse Video. Yeah. I mean, does he have these in stock? I don't know. He should. Buy them there. They're cheaper than Amazon. Amazon sucks anyway. That's weird. Like, they're weird. I don't really. even, dude, I haven't bought anything from Amazon in a while. I'm searching. I'm on GrindhouseVideo.com right now. Let me see if he has Roar in stock. He has the Blu-ray for $19.95, which is a steal compared to what Amazon's selling it for. There you so go. I'll Use put a link coach, in the show notes. Screamcast 10. Screamcast 10. I think uh, for orders over $25, you get 10% off. So grab this and another, another flick. And, you uh, pick up Boarding House. Is he at Boarding House cheap? Probably. There you go. Boom. Get Boarding House and Roar, and you'll thank me. He does. $17.95. There you go. Screamcast 10. Cheaper than Amazon. Totally. Yep. I'll, I'll put Same. links in the show notes. For these, but it, Roar definitely is an experience. I don't think it's available on streaming anywhere. I just checked it out online. I just, just checked; it's not available yeah. yet. So definitely an experience to to watch, and uh, you can like the the fear, the tension is palatable. And I know my wife walked in and she was just like, "What the hell are you watching? Are those real lines?" I'm like, "Those are real fucking lines," and she was just like, "Those people are crazy." They're fucking nuts, man. Well, moving along here, uh, let's jump into. 
a John Carpenter flick just released on Blu-ray from the controversial Twilight Time. Controversial. <laughs> it's Vampires. Have you ever seen a vampire? They're not romantic. Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. They don't turn into bats. Crosses don't work. You want to kill one? You drive a wooden stake right through his heart. We think we got a nest inside this place. Let's get to work. Figure out at least six goons, maybe more. Chances are we'll find a master in here somewhere. Set up. He knew my name. It's time to kill some vampires. Whatever you know, I will hunt you down. You can't kill me. Let me just ask you one thing. After 600 years, how's that dick working? Pretty good? I kind of lump, um, Twilight time in with Screen Factory. They, well, they but at least like Screen Factory, they put special features. It has some special features, and they freaking their their movies are priced at a decent price. That's yeah, the, my my main problem with freaking. I retract that statement. Goddamn Twilight time is the same. Fucking thirty dollars. Thirty bucks for an HD master for the most part, some exceptions, with basically features that have been transferred over from previous DVD or they do that crazy, uh, you know, soundtrack only or whatever the hell they call it. Isolated soundtrack, isolated soundtrack, which whoever listens to that, if you do let us know, I would like to know because I never do. Um, except for Tron legacy. I actually put that on with just the soundtrack isolated score and it's a better movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we're talking um, John, fuck, you know, fuck Twilight Time. Let's talk John Carpenter's um, Vampires, which is available through Twilight Time, but it's also, you told me it's available Voodoo. on Voodoo. Let's check yep. the price on that fucker. Uh, it's like $17.99, I think. Vampires. $13.99. So yeah, you can either pay 30 bucks for a Blu-ray with a couple special features but it does have a John Carp- John Carpenter audio commentary, or um, pay thirteen ninety nine for just the flick. Yeah. So it's up to you. But um, if it's the same HD master, it's going to look pretty damn good because I popped in the Blu Ray and um, this is the best the movie's ever looked because the DVD was pure shit. Oh, dude, the and DVD is the worst. It's it's letter is it letterboxed right? And it was in, it was in nineteen ninety nine that the DVD came out. So fucking pixelated. <laughs> it's horrible, and it always just drove me nuts to watch it. And I'm so happy it's in HD. It looks beautiful, and you know the movie's a fun like 
kind of western type flick with uh you know instead of uh the sheriff hunting bad guys this freaking james woods hunting vampires and this is one of those flicks that i think i like more and more every time i watch it what about you it's it's really good it's <laughs> it's definitely right up my alley a vampire a vampire flicks um I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of the Forsaken as okay. well. And this is kind of like, I think Vampires is probably, it's like Lost Boys, Vampires, the Forsaken. I think those are my uh, top three. Cool. I don't think I've ever seen the Forsaken. A lot of people haven't. Don't feel bad. <laughs> it's really good, though. So, I mean, you know, this is just, uh, I think this was a movie that kind of brought John Carpenter out of uh kind of semi-retirement like he didn't really want to do any movies after escape from los angeles and uh he came back and he i guess was approached uh, with the script and he wanted to spin it as a western and that kind of got him excited about the flick so yeah yeah i mean it's it's definitely it's uh very western uh heavy which kind of you know it's always really sucked to me that uh Carpenter never actually did a Western. Yeah. You know, he never, uh, I mean, he's obviously, I mean, Rio Bravo is like his favorite film. And, you know, he's a big Howard Hawks fan. And I mean, everything from Assault on Precinct 13, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing, um, parts of like Prince of Darkness, uh, Vampires, Ghost of Mars, they all have like heavy Western uh, tones. But, he just never did a Western kind of depressing. He, I mean, he wrote El Diablo, which was kind of a, you know, weird Western, but he never went out when anything, uh, went went the route of being a, like a true Western kind of sucks. I'd really like to see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I saw them, uh, I saw vampires at theaters and I remember the trailer really hooked me. Um, I was already a carpenter fan at that time. Um, but, uh, you know, that was, um, is that the, this was, this would have been the second, uh, no, this would have been, oh no, no. I saw it mouth of madness in theaters. Oh, okay. So I saw that. Yeah. So mouth of madness was my first carpenter flick. I can't remember if I saw village of the damned at the theaters. Um, I can't remember, but I know I definitely saw escape from LA and vampires, Ghost of Mars, um, and I didn't see the ward at theaters, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, cause it didn't really play anywhere, <laughs> nah. but, um, yeah, probably like big cities, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was turned on to Carpenter at an early age. So I just remember the trailer, you know, it was super badass, And then it had, uh, Marilyn Manson's, the beautiful people playing behind it. <laughs> so and Marilyn Manson was a big thing when I was 14. 1998. So. Yeah, so that was a, you know, I was like, oh shit, that mu- that music's going to play during the movie. It didn't, but I mean, it still <laughs> has a, you know, it's because it's a Western soundtrack. It's pretty cool. Yeah. He got, uh, I mean, I guess there's these things called the, uh, was it the Saturn Awards or something like that? Yeah. Saturn and Wars. like he, John Carpenter won like for the best soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that, you know, we, we talked plenty of Carpenter yeah. films, so not yep. to, really get into the history but i mean he scores pretty much all his own movies 
you know, for, for, for the most part, or has people come in and he organizes, you know, and arranges certain things for, uh, for people to play. I mean, he's collaborated with bands like Anthrax and, you know, Buckethead to, you know, going back to, you know, Alan Haworth working with him with all the soundtracks up and coming ever since he started, you know, with the Solemn Precinct 13. So pretty, uh, very musical, you know, oriented. And I, I really dig that. He writes, he directs, you know, he uh, does a lot of his, uh, you know, he knows what cinematography was. That's why he worked with Dean Cutney so much. I don't know. Just he, He's got a good head on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. He, and, you know, it kind of sucks that, uh, you know, obviously he's, uh, you know, a huge influence. One, probably one of the biggest influences in horror. But not very successful if you look at it. Kind of weird. Yeah. But I'm successful money wise because most of his movies bombed. Yeah, and yeah, this one, I mean, I'm trying to think the. I think uh, trying to think the what was the initial reaction to this one. I think this one got some like poor reviews when it came out. I mean, it was it was no Ghost of Mars. Thank no, God, Ghost of Mars got. Nah, dude, but, I, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> but Ghost but, of Mars is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean it did. It did fairly well at the box office. No, I didn't think it did well. I think uh, long term. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think everything that he has had has been somewhat a a disappointment. I mean, it made its money back probably you know threefold plus domestic and uh, international. But you know, I I think I think it did fairly well for a Carpenter flick with uh, vampires in the nineties. You know, vampires wasn't a big thing. You know, we didn't have Twilight and all that yet. So. Vampires is kind of on the back burner. Zombies, when did zombies hit? Mm, well, they've been off and on, but they just... Zombies hit in early 2000s, yeah, I think. They yeah. started getting bigger. But what I liked about John Carpenter's Vampires, and, this, and it's kind of what I like about... Well, Lost Boys, they're a little more romanticized, but they still were a bit savage. But what I liked about John Carpenter's Vampires was they were... You know, this is before the Twilight bullshit, before... Was uh was this around the same time as uh, Interview with the Vampire or was Interview with the Vampire before this one? I think it was before. But I, I liked. I mean, there's this romanticized version of vampires where they're sleek and sexy, but they're brooding and dark. And this one, kind of like from Dust Till Dawn, Dust Till Dawn kind of followed this. Or Dust Till Dawn was before this, so kind of like Dust Till Dawn, they're more creatures, vicious creatures. Yeah. In anything, and but dude, played by Thomas Ian Griffin, like a martial artist, you know, because <laughs> I was a big excessive force guy when that came out, and then you know I saw Thomas Ian Griffin was was casted as you know Valak, um, <laughs> you know, it's like what the fuck? It's just an oddball casting, you know. But obviously, for stunt reasons, and probably you know, even though he doesn't really do all that much, rather than walk around and look badass. But yeah, I mean, Tom, Thomas Ian Griffin is an action star, and for him to play like this lead vampire, I thought was kind of a out of the blue. I mean, not too many people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be in like you know the crazy action flicks that he was in uh, leading up to that. But um, his career uh, kind of flourished after uh, after this. I mean, not that he had you know he was on top of the world or anything, but he was in some decent you know decent movies up in uh, up until vampires it seems yeah I, I can't really recall if any he did anything that really stand out 
around uh, after that. I mean, he was he was in a few things. Like he was, I think he was in Triple X. He plays one of the one of the bad guys. So I think that was kind of a bigger bigger thing. But I mean, he was in Excessive Force. Uh, He's in Cracker Jack. Um, he was in Call uh, Call the Conqueror. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughs. You just mentioned Call the Conqueror, and people giggle. It's it's a super fun movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. A, so, but um, you know, I, I really liked what he did with vampires. He he gave kind of this, uh, you know, because I read the novel afterwards, which is Vampires Incorporated, which is really funny. Um, later changed to well, I mean the the company is called Vampires Incorporated. Yeah. I think the book is just called. Uh, vampires but he he took you know he took a lot of things from from the book and he actually took a lot of things out that i thought were um and because i read the book after but reading the book i was like man like there's so much more to to this book and these characters you know because mm-hmm. you know after um jack's team is uh, spoiler alert i guess after i'm pretty sure everybody's seen carpenter's vampires um, after his team is basically obliterated, him and uh, Montoya are the only uh, people that survive, uh, along with uh, a girl that was bitten by the vampires. See, in the in the book, he has he actually gets kind of a smaller team together again that is uh, put together by um, by the church that um, the Roman Catholic Church that actually puts these teams together. And, um, uh, you know, uh, funds these vampire hunts trying to locate, um, certain things and, uh, this, you know, kind of this end all be all, uh, vampire. And they actually use silver in the book. Um, oh, okay. Jack, Jack realizes that if silver's blessed by a priest, it can be deadly. So they like have a guy that makes bullets and they have a, a, a sharpshooter on the team and then they go after, um, uh, after Valak. Right. The, the, they have to go after him because like the, the thought is they kill him. They, they kill the hive or whatever. They kind of do that mentality with the, with the vampire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. In, in, in the movie it's, uh, well, I think more or less that, you know, cause all the vampires are connected if they kind of kill the source. Yeah. You know, it's it's like killing you know uh, the main guy on a on a squad. You know, a you know a commander or something like that. Everything's going to kind of fall apart after. Yeah. I think that's kind of the mentality for it. Yeah. But um, you know, uh, actually, Jack Crow is a reoccurring character in uh, in Stakely uh, Stakely books. Like he was a kind of a pirate in a in another book that battled alien insects. <laughs> I think I think it's called Armor. I read it read it a long long time ago. It's really bizarre. Nice. Uh, it's a, another one of the characters in Vampires is in it too. Um I think the sharpshooter or something like that. Huh. That's interesting. But it's a really it's a really fun book. Um there's a lot of similarities and just this side tangent uh that they go on. I I think Carpenter did a really good job um the screen whoever the screenwriter I don't think Carpenter wrote the script. Uh Don Jacoby did the screenplay based off of John Don Jacoby screenplay yeah, based off of John Stakely's novel. That name sounds super familiar Don Jacoby. Don Jacoby? 
Yeah. Uh, Arachnophobia, Double Team. Double Team. Um, Evolution. <laughs> Death Wish 3. And Life Force. Oh, okay. Yeah, the name sounds a little familiar. That's why. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, and plus it always, it has all those things that you really love about vampires. You know, kind of the brutality mix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I mean, we didn't get vampires this brutal and this size numbers until, you know, 30 days a night, it seems. Oh, yeah. I can't think of any other vampire. I mean, there's always vampires that are brutal, but I'm saying like a barrage of vampires that are grouped together that go around just slaughtering people. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, you had near dark, which was a small band of vampires, right? Lost right. boys. Didn't, they didn't really do that that much. Yeah. I mean, 30, there's 30 days group. a night is a good comparison. Cause those vampires, I think are some of my favorite film vampires. Well, on, the cool know. thing about 30 days a night is the concept that they're like their own race and species. Like they don't bite people in order to turn them. Yeah. They actually kill them. They don't want them to turn. Right. Because it's almost like you have to be accepted. They really don't go through that in vampires. I mean, a hive is a hive. You get bit, you're a vampire. You're just part of this group. And I, I just like the concept that it is known. They have a team. They have teams set up all over the country, all over the world, just going in trying to find this person, this vampire that you know started it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, just a really cool concept and it's the closest Western, I think, um, you know, that, you know, his whole group, hey, this is the one thing is I always kind of wanted a prequel to this with Jack and the team for the most part. Cause I mean, that opening sequence, yeah. like how well organized they are, um, you know, and everything like that, that was a really, it's a really fun opening. It's a, that's one of my favorite, I think openings. Yeah. And, but the thing is, film. it's like, it's so short lived, you know, it's like, man, what, what could have been if this was like a prequel or the team didn't die and it, it kept going? Cause it was just a really fun group of guys. Yeah. So did you, did you ever see the sequels? Yeah. Bon John, John Bon Jovi's in it. <laughs> I don't know. I never, you know, I didn't yeah. really realize there were sequels, I guess, until yeah. I started looking into the, <laughs> into yeah. this. John Bon Jovi is in the, in the second one. Oh God. Um, and I think Darius McRae, who plays, you know, he played Eddie off of Family Matters. Wow. He played like the older brother. I think, I think he's in it. And, um, uh, then the turning, I think was the third one, which was very bizarre. It was, wasn't a very good, Los Moretos, this, uh, the second film is actually a, a lot of fun. Hmm. It's, a, it's a, it's a pretty decent sequel. Um, but, um, it kind of a weird, a weird movie to make a sequel to. It seems like making a sequel to a Carpenter film that wasn't super successful, but I mean, I guess those direct to video things, they, they were well, successful for. Right. That's what I think that this, time. that this one kind of got a life after the theater. It, it, I think it really started flying off the video shelves. I remember this being a popular, like, did this come out with VHS was still or was it DVD? I just remember this oh, one. No, this was, is VHS for sure. This one was was always well stocked. Always people are always renting renting this one for sure. So it definitely had a life, and that's the thing. I like for me, if I have more and more fun with it, the more I watch it. The, the more times I revisit it, the more fun I have with it. Um, I think when I first saw it, I was kind of I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I didn't really. I thought it was okay, you know. Um, but then 
throughout the years. It's one been one of those one of the few vampire flicks that has really stuck with me, and I, I like, like I said, the opening, the western feel, and just the, the sheer brutality of, of vampires. I think is what sets it a, apart from the others. Like James Woods, and like he's okay, you know. I think it's all really? right. Like he feels uh, like a little bit miscast to me, but uh, I, don't I don't know. know. See, that's the one thing with me that always attracted me to this movie is the script. Uh, I think the script's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's very relentless. Um, it, a lot of films, there's uh, there's no change to Woods' character. He doesn't really give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only that one moment, but he quickly redeems it, is that um, with Montoya at the end. You know, Montoya's like, for three days I covered your ass. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you get your three days, but after that I'm going to fucking hunt you down and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to drive a stake right through right. your fucking heart. And it's like, damn, fucking Jack Crow? Like, why, do you, why are you so mean all the time? <laughs> but that's the thing is, like, his character, like, he's there for a purpose. Yeah. He never second guesses it. Even after he's fucked over, he's like, no, nah, still going to continue it. You know, and then him and Padre go off in the distance and, you know, he still gives him shit. Like even after all the shit they were in, they still head back into that hive Yeah. at the end of the film. And I, I think I think this is a lot about, you know, you don't see too many movies. You see, you see that you see them walking off in the distance or in the sunset. I mean, Jack's here for a business like he doesn't like it's personal with him. You know, he he's not doing it as a job like he obviously is. You know, because he's working, mm-hmm. but he does it because that's what he wants to do. Like yeah, it's, even it's after, like after even after he's fucked over, he realizes everything's kind of a sham. He still heads into that jail at the end of the movie and just like, all right, let's get back to work. You know, I, I think that's a. I mean, obviously it's a script, but I think James Woods um, holds James Woods. I always I always say James Woods <laughs> or James Wood. Um, James Woods, I think he's a, he's a great actor and I, I, I think he can really, um, show that psychotic side. And uh, obviously Jack Crow is very unstable. Um, but he is well grounded enough to know what he wants and he'll do whatever it takes to get it done. And he doesn't, he never questions himself. And yeah. that's one thing that I really like, even though he was deceived, uh, it was easily, uh, he, he was easily deceived. Uh, you know, I don't think he would ever expect, um, you know, the outcome of, of the story, but I think James Woods holds it to, to the point where he is a badass motherfucker. So I don't know. I always like that dialogue between them too. It's just very like, it's just not what you would expect. Yeah. You know, he, even after he beats the shit out of Padre, he's like, "When you know, when I was beating you up back there, did you get a little wood?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I just think it's a it's it's a really funny thing. Uh, you know, just kind of a weird tangent to go off on, um, but I think it's all part of that character. Yeah, you know, just a really just badass. I don't give a shit attitude, but I'm going to get my job done no matter what. Totally. Um. So then. They brought in the uh, poor man's Alec Baldwin, <laughs> Daniel Baldwin. Oh my God! I, I think Which, all Baldwins are the poor, poor Baldwins. 
Like, I don't think, I, I mean, obviously Alec is, uh, um, the, you know, the, the cream of the crop, I guess you could say. I don't even Yeah, know. yeah. I mean, um, when Steve, before Stephen Baldwin went crazy fundamentalist Christian, um, you know, I kind of liked Stephen Baldwin and the stuff he was in. What's the fourth brother? Um, gosh, there's Stephen Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, Daniel Baldwin, and there's another. There's another one well, there's that's the, below uh, Stephen. Well, there's a Baldwin that was in Firefly, but I'm like, he doesn't. He doesn't look related at all. Uh, I don't know. I'll think of it eventually. Hold on. But anyways, hold on. So, but Daniel Baldwin, he's. I think this is the only movie. Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. Well, but he's a badass. What? Adam Baldwin. I like him. I like him in Firefly and Serenity. He's been in other shit, too. Oh, Adam Baldwin. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if he's related. He doesn't look like the other Baldwins. Is he related? Or is it I'm just my last sure name? That, I'm pretty sure there's four Baldwin brothers. Who there's knows? Not- yeah, I mean, we've just named four Baldwins. Ah. <sighs> But anyways, <laughs> well, I mean, Daniel, I think Daniel and Alec kind of had both things going for him. The Alec, chest hair. Well, Alec Baldwin was more of, I don't know, kind of, you know, he's like in Malice. He was in, you know, The Shadow. He he just didn't know where he belonged. Daniel did because Daniel did a lot of action and suspense, uh, suspense movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't, he really stayed away from the romantic roles and everything like that. I don't really think he could pull off a romantic role because he's just, I don't know. Yeah. He's always kind of he little, he's going to pass out on top of you, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, so I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. It's something about his eyes. I think. As compared oh, to the Alec. He look, Surprised he, it's not the teeth like you usually <laughs> talk about. Well, he looks like he's just been smoking so much weed. You know, Alec oh, seems yeah. a little more alert, but Daniel Baldwin seems like he's just going to fall asleep at any moment. That's a that's a generalization, but I'm just William saying. William Baldwin. William Baldwin. That's the related Baldwin. Yeah. Adam Baldwin, no relation. Yeah. Um, William, William Baldwin. Baldwin. He's the skinnier. Um, Backdraft. Yeah, the backdraft okay. flatliners one. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyways, man, this has been Baldwin history with uh, Brad and Sean. God, Baldwin brothers, like they all act. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. I like you know, Adam yeah. or Alec got all the acting chops. Like Alec now he's was like the more popular one. I think Daniel is the better actor. William Baldwin just never had the chance. Mm-hmm. And well, he Steven, did, man, with backdraft. I mean, come on. I was like, that's a great flick. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, he didn't really have that much. To, I mean, how many movies was he in? Wait, he was in Sliver, too. And uh, he was in Fair Game. See, I get the. He, he had his chance. I get these guys confused. <laughs> maybe, maybe William. Well, I bet people don't know this. They're probably thinking, oh, my God, there's more than, like, two Baldwin brothers. <laughs> and we've been watching the Baldwins for years, and we always think it's just Daniel or Alec. <laughs> yeah. It's easy so, to get them all, uh, you know, get them all mixed that's up. That's right. He was in fair game. Daniel Baldwin is always the one that I forget about. Yeah. Williams was a pretty good action star in the movies he was yeah. in, I remember. 
I mean, these guys are not. You got to roll actors, around with so. Jennifer Jason Lee. Jealous. And uh, what? Backdraft? Backdraft. I don't remember that. On top of the fire truck on the hoses. Yeah, but also Sharon Stone and Sliver, and then Cindy Crawford and Fair Game. Had, William Baldwin had a pretty good, pretty good run. William Baldwin, he's living the life. <laughs> he is living the life. So maybe they should have put William Baldwin in Vampires. See, I think he would have been cast better in, in Vampires. Let's 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 Can we recast on, it. Let's talk Carp talk to Carpenter about remaking Vampires <laughs> and just doing a shot for shot remake with all the same actors, but just put William Baldwin in it. I think James Woods can still pull it off. He could totally, he totally could. But he would—he's like actually probably that angry now, so yeah. he's not even acting anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a little more grizzled now, like for real. Like life, life has had his, had its way with him, and he's just a little more of that angst will come out. That's, that's the thing I think with with vampires was he didn't seem—I don't know—he didn't seem had to have enough like I don't know grit. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, that just could be me. Anyway, we're talking way too long about vampires. Um. The, the Twilight Time Blu-ray looks great. Uh, if you want to drop the thirty bucks, grab it. It's it's the funny you want thing. An is, HD master. The funny thing is, I have a feeling Twilight Time because they printed five thousand copies of this, and it's limited. Yeah. It was like limited. You can only buy two. Limited. They make it made a big deal about it. I think, but then I I don't think it's at any point of selling out anytime soon. They I think they yeah. thought they had another Fright Night on their hands. Well, I think what it is is that they're also since that Christine. Oh yeah, everyone's a little release. Like I think it's time to like. I think people are really getting into the reassessment of you know. Let's think about this for a second. Well, yeah, because like six months later or a year later, Christine came out on a, like yeah. a budget Blu-ray, and we have the DVDs. You know, they're not not that much better. The only thing that people are buying is your collectors, but they're not collecting it because of the movie. They're collecting just because it's, you know, limited. But yeah. I think I do give props to Twilight Time marking up their limited edition because even though they're saying limited, they're just doing kind of a normal press of a movie. Yeah, 5,000 is a pretty decent yeah. press. <laughs> like 5 to 10,000 is your normal pressing, like – they just saying limited because they're probably only doing that and only that, which a lot of companies do. They just, you know, don't come out and say it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't, I don't see my, even though I'm a huge Carpenter fan, I, if the, the title does come down in price, I'll pick it up. But for the most part, just voodoo that shit, man. Yeah, thirteen ninety nine is it's a really. I mean, good I'm always going to be a physical media guy. Yeah, but there comes a time when I have to think about what I'm spending my money on. Well, yeah, I mean, anymore, man, thirty bucks is. Like, I'm just not. I'm just not into it. There's very, very few movies that I would spend that much. But if I'm going to spend that much, it has to be worth it. It has to be something special. Yeah. Like if that was like a restoration, like a 2k, 4k scan of the, uh, you know, the original negative or something and, you know, new special features, right. then by all means, I'm going to pick it up. There wouldn't even be a question about it. But, you know, I'm at a point now where it's like, nah, I'll just, you know, buy like two or three other movies that I really want 
that, you know, I can get for ten, twelve dollars a piece rather yeah. than, you know because the thing is is okay, Twilight Time's thirty dollars. But also look when you put something in their cart, you pay like six dollars shipping. The shipping's ridiculous. So now you're paying thirty six dollars for a fucking Blu ray. You're making me rethink my decision. Well you should. I mean that's the thing is like <laughs> if, you, if people keep giving these companies like this uh that much money for their releases, they're going to keep doing it. And then stuff becomes more obscure and obscure, obscure. The thing is, is that we have, it's great that these movies are being put out on Blu-ray. It's great what code red is doing, but when you limit it and you make it that expensive, you're not doing it. And you're not doing the film any justice. You're just no. making a collector's market. So normal people that live their day to day life, that aren't going to spend $30 on anything like that, they're never going to get to see the movie. So it might as well not even exist. So there's right. gotta be something because these people know they can make the money off collectors. That's what they do. Um, you know, and then you have other companies, you know, which is, it's the one props I give screen factory screen factory could do the exact same thing and they would sell Yeah, on, on certain titles. Um, but they don't. I mean, they, they try to leave everything decently priced. I mean, obviously, they put a lot of money in it. But, I mean, they also gauge their releases. Like, you can get Dark Angel for eight ninety nine on Blu-ray because there's no special features. Or you can spend, you know, $25 on a three-disc Army of Darkness. That, to me, makes sense. Yeah, Of course, totally. you're going to charge that much more because that's how much more work you put into it. But, see, Twilight Time doesn't do that. It's thirty. They already have a set price of twenty nine ninety four. Everything, and it's like you know that's really shitty because uh, you know there's three movies I want to grab. It's a hundred bucks. <laughs> I know, man. Like I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars on three Blu-rays unless it's class of nineteen ninety nine. But you know, it's just like it's just not. It's just not cool for a company to do that. I mean, because I understand they have to make their money back, but you try to weigh in what other companies are doing and not everybody's doing that. So there's got, there's definitely that, you know, we, they did it with frightening, you know, it's the same, same process is they're being kind of shady about the whole thing. So I, I'm just not into giving people like that my money. I'll just buy it on voodoo and it will go to fucking Sony or whoever owns it. Yeah. That's right. Cause the, the, the other ones I want to get are count Yorga vampire and then scream and scream again. But you know, I was thinking yeah, about, it, but would, like you, you get all that in your too. cart. That's freaking like 90 right bucks. There. Now there we go. It's you're already a hundred. <laughs> totally. After shipping, you're close. So close. The price doesn't shipping go down tax. with shipping. The right. price, the pricing doesn't go down with shipping with them. Mm -hmm. They charge more and more. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So three then, movies then for hundred bucks. Then you get it in the mail. And then you get it in the mail and the shipping says $2.50. Yeah. Well, especially if you sell stuff like eBay, like I do, like I know how much shit costs to, to ship. Yeah. You know? And they doesn't send cost, it in that fucking, you know, bubble wrap envelope. That doesn't cost, cost six bucks. That costs $2.45. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm just, let us know your thoughts as well as the yeah. audience. Cause I just, I honestly, I, I have no motivation. I have, I can obtain the movie a lot cheaper than what it's put out is. I'm big on physical media. I will never, ever go away from that. But I also have to weigh in of what's smart, you know? Yeah. 
See, you I'm could buy Count Yorga for thirteen ninety nine on Vudu. I mean, any of these from yeah. Twilight Time, you can find an HD, good HD transfer digitally. Yeah, you know, it's just that, like, okay, I'm I like physical unless I'm a millionaire or a billionaire. Like, I'm not going to be spending that much money on a fucking Blu-ray. I have better things to do. I have a life, and you know, helping with my finances. This is not financially smart. Dude, like, I, unless you, unless you have a ton of money, I'm not saying like you're stupid for fit. No, I, dude, here. I tried to buy like every release I wanted for a while, and uh, you just watch that bank account empty. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's like you, know? you it's, it's like, like you really need to to start adjusting. You know, I mean, people like us can't. We can't. We have to make decisions. And I and I'm, dude, I'm I'm staring at stacks of DVDs or Blu-rays right now that I haven't even opened yet. And it's just like, yeah. there's a time where you just got to be like, okay, what am I spending my money on? Am I going to be able to watch this shit right away? If not, but I'm but I'm buying it so I can get it. Oh, it's going to be this price for this long. Or, oh, it's limited edition. I better grab it. You know, and before you know it, you got stacks of movies that you, you know, someone like me who's super busy, uh, you know, when the hell am I going to find time to watch this? You know, and then I got my wife walking by staring at the movies going, I wonder how much money that I can get if I sell all those. <laughs> well, you know what I did? I just put my vampire's disc in my computer and did the voodoo thing and got it for like a dollar. See, there you go. Damn. Damn. See, I sold that. I sold that uh, DVD a long time ago. So and then I made money off the DVD. There you go. I, I made like five bucks. So I basically made four dollars. You of won the day. HD. Yeah. All right. And that to me, that's a lot smarter than spending thirty dollars. Let's let's, you know, six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm going to support, but I'm not going to support that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Well, I think things have to shift. I think they. Will I, the problem is these these companies like Code Red and Twilight Time? They're they've they, I feel like they're not going to have get a it. limited life. Yeah, they're they do, and I think Screen Factory is being proactive. And yeah, Screen that's the pricing. one props I give Screen Factory. You know, Blue Underground. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Vinegar Syndrome. Even Olive, uh, like they price their stuff. Really yeah, well. Olive Films has great pricing. Uh, Synapse. I, I mean, you, you pay. I mean, Synapse is like what twenty bucks. But Synapse, but you, man, you're you're paying for brand new transfer. You're paying for extra. Yeah. Your, your Synapse stuff is like feed. legit. That's what I'm saying. You have to weigh in, like. Why not buy two Synapse um, Blu-ray? You know, that's the one thing is, like, Bill was always complaining on Code Red that people were buying, you know, Synapse uh, Blu-rays. Well, yeah, because they can get, you know, you have three titles. They can buy their entire catalog for the year for Synapse for the price you charge for three (laughs) Blu-rays. Right. Of course, yeah. And they're better movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Code Red should be budget should be budget price. They're they're they're, they're you know rarer, lesser known f- films that you yeah, would Scorpion, want. Scorpion does the same thing. Is because you know, when Scorpion first came out and Scorpion first started, you could get their Blu-rays um, off eBay, off Amazon for about eleven to twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. And then when Code Red started releasing Blu-rays and started charging thirty dollars. Fucking Scorpion Jack, their prices yeah. up. Well, they're brothers, so. Well, that's the thing. And then when they knew that they were rare, then they jacked them up even more to forty five dollars. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not. I'm not falling for it. No, no. We got to be smart, man. I'll watch that shit on tape. 
All right, let's move on in, into our Stream Screams segment. Nate, wake up! There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't fucking scream at me! If you scream, I'll break your neck. <laughs> Don't scream, miss. Don't scream. My, you said it correctly. I'm getting better. Yeah. The more we do the show and the more we do these, I'm getting better. Dude. All right. This was this is fun. Sean's first first time seeing this Return was of fun. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Return of the Living Dead. One of my favorite zombie flicks has a great sense of humor, great gore, and nude Lena Quigley. Lena Quigley. <clears throat> See, I'm getting all tongue-tied just thinking about it. And the whole punk rock angle of Return of the Living Dead is fantastic. So I've I've kind of avoided the sequels, Return of the Living Dead 2 and Return of the Living Dead 3. And I've seen them, and I was like, there's no way they're going to live up to how awesome the first one is. So you brought these up that we should cover these. Um, The first one, let's jump into Return of the Living Dead Part 2. A deadly experiment. accident a secret that will be carried to the grave as the horror classic is reborn return of the living dead part two jesse will be the first to know billy will be the first to go Seven of the living against an army of the dead, starved for life. was safe to be dead. Why not part Spend three first? We'll talk about part three. It was a joke. Save, save the best joke. for last. And we got to go in order. So Return of Living Dead 2, um, It to me, it seemed like... This was an odd one because it seemed like a kind of rehash of the first one, but from the eyes of a kid, like what, 10-year-old kid? Yeah, somewhere. Um... So therefore, like, there's a little more amped up humor. Um, it's a little more campy, but um, but overall, like, as a you know fun little zombie flick, it delivers you know on the whole Return of the Living Dead, talking zombies who want brains, basically. Um, so I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. I had fun with it, and this is something that like my kids, my kids, they want to. You know, they're getting interested in zombies, and this would be something that I think would be safe 
for them to watch. Yeah, um, yeah. I because think I think a, there's only gore. Like, there's no ramped up nudity. There's no. No, no. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not. There's not even any. I don't think there's anything hardly any swearing. And there's hardly any, even any swearing. Like this is very. It's a very PG. Like today, if it came out today, well, with the exception of the gore, it'd probably be PG thirteen. It was. Um. It was. I remember reading. I don't know if it was on IMDb or somewhere. I have to look it up. But I think that the MPAA said if they toned down the hospital sequence uh, okay. with the zombie uh-huh. um, that's like crawling or whatever. Yeah. If they toned that down, they would have got a PG-13. Huh. Which even by today's standards, that's really not that. If this came out today, it would be PG thirteen. Totally, it would have to be. Yeah, because it's 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 very like I, I think what put this one over the edge was you know kind of the gore and you know the grotesqueness of uh, you know the, the the zombies. Yeah, but I mean this has the similarities there, like the two guys that turn into zombies slowly. You know, right? Because that was in the first one, right? Well, it's the same actors. <laughs> yes. James Karen and Tom Matthews. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and there's even a line where they go, I, I feel like this has happened before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, – it's the thing. It's this is very tongue-in-cheek, this sequel. It's a very fun, silly movie. Yeah, there's even a – did you notice the uh, Michael Jackson Yeah, zombie? I mean, there's the Michael Jackson <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's just – it is very childlike, and I, I think – that's the one thing I like about the series. All five Return of the Living Dead movies. Five. Yes, there are five people that know. Um, but I really like the second one because, yes, it is a rehash of the first one uh, for the most part because because of what they were going for. But also it is from a kid's perspective and it is more camp. It is more fun. And I don't know. It's kind of – Return of Living Dead, you know, you have you have the people that are in the ground. You have, you know, this container that lets loose lose gas. How many times can you do this? Yeah. And I think people were wanting the same movie because in the 80s that's what they did. They re, you know, the sequels were very much like the other, other, mm-hmm. you know, the first one or the second one or the third one, fucking happened with Freddy, happened with Michael Myers, happened with Friday the Thirteenth, it happened with Phantasm. It's all the same. So they did that, but they did make a little more, you know, funny. Yeah, but the, this I mean, one, the, the first like, one. I feel like if you were a fan of the first one because of the whole punk rock stuff, the the nudity and things like that, like you would kind of be disappointed with this one. I think this kind of gets the go. I think the people that don't like uh, Return of the Living Dead Two are the same people that don't like Ghostbusters Two. <laughs> you know, because it's like it's because it, it, I sit there and I was like, it's the same thing. It's just a it's little just, more yeah. out of the you know crazier. That's right, all it is. Right, it is right. what Ghostbusters Two is. Yeah, it's, it's a little more movie. kind of. Well, it's a little more forced it's just humor. Amped I think up, both. Yeah, you know, but. I, I don't know. You have James Cameron, you have Tom Matthews, you have Suzanne Snyder, which she's, I don't know. She's like one of my all-time favorites. James Ca- James Cameron. You said James Cameron. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, James Cameron's in this? Yeah, yeah, he, he plays one of the zombies. Um, but I don't know. It's just a fun little it's silly sequel. Totally, exactly. And, and, and it really, this is... 
Um, and it's also at a kind of it's also out of um, kind of during the production of this movie because on the Return of the Living Dead documentary, um, they mention that the set wasn't very fun. Hmm. And I think um, because they said Ken Wiederhorn was not like too motivated sometimes. I think even Tom Matthews said a couple parts where he was very upset the direction it was going because they had a lot of fun with the first one okay. that they wanted kind of wanted to do that again. But it felt that he wanted to make a different movie. Um, so I don't know. I don't really see any problems in the movie. I just see it. It doesn't feel like a Ken Wiederhorn film, even though he did meatballs too. Um, his his arrangement of comedy does seem forced, but maybe that's because the reason why I like this film is because it is kind of that more nostalgic reason mm-hmm. is that I saw this like on Monster Vision when I was really little and I remember giggling when, you know, the stab the you know, with a screwdriver and it's like, get that screwdriver out of my head. <laughs> I thought that shit was hysterical. I fucking laughed. I still even giggle. But <clears throat> I don't know. It's just it, it's it is. It's just everything's amplified by like three. Yeah. With this one, and I don't know. I just kind of like the cornball humor to it. I like that they kind of, you know, they still have the tar man, which <laughs> looks kind of ridiculous. Does not look <laughs> as good as the original. No, the original one looks um, fantastic. This and game. and I I like kind of how that. You know, in, in a way, it has that Goonies vibe. You know, yeah. Little, the, the kids, I mean, there's just one kid. Um, the movie does belong to him. You know, and, and fucking Dana Ashbrook is, is great, who turned out to be kind of a decent actor and still has even a career today. Um, you know, for, for years, uh, you know, it was funny seeing him pop in and out of movies. And then, you know, he shows up in like shit like the aggression scale. And he still plays that bright eyed, like, you know, kind of because he does, he is sometimes psychotic. Like when he gets all amped up when uh, he sees the zombies like attacking the pet store. You know? <laughs> that seems amazing. <laughs> you know, and it's, I don't know, it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it's a good, with the five five of the movies, I don't think any of them, like even though it's amped up by three, it feels like a different movie. It doesn't feel like a direct sequel. Even right. Though yeah. It, no. It, I think all of things. these, all of these stand on their own as their own kind of zombie movies, just with a few little connective tissue things, like with the what, what's the name of the toxic stuff? Z- Two, uh, four, five trioxin. Trioxin. That's and that's the only connective tissue. So. Yeah, but I mean that also that goes into you know what they created because i mean return of living dead is a sequel to night living dead in yeah a way. yeah you know and then carrying over from that i mean i think pulling the actors and pulling the drum is the only really hardcore similarities yeah. you know james james karen's character and tom matthews and the two four five trucks and those are the only things that actually relate to the original Right, it's not a direct the sequel. tone's different. The you know totally different soundtrack. It's not punk rock like mm-hmm. you said. Um, the military is kind of the same, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, it, it feels for the most like that in particular feels like 
the first movie, but I think it stands alone. And then the third one is completely fucking different. Let's jump the into the third one, one man. Crazy. Let's, 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 let's jump into, uh, return of the living dead three. They vowed to stay together forever, that their love would never die, but their pledge remain untested. Oh, cool. No problem on the boss's son, remember? Until they went looking for a thrill and stumbled on the chilling fact. Let's proceed. That even the dead can go on living. It came back to life. We gotta get out of here. And tonight, fate will put their promises to the test. Now that she's dead, he's frightened to live without her. But bringing her back is terrifying. (gasps) Oh, God, Kurt, that was incredible. Let's do it again. Damn it! Seal it off now! Is that what I'm gonna become? These poor dead bastards crave brains. She bit me. She did something bad. I feel the hunger. Never find you down here. What have you done? If she attacks him, he becomes like her. I just get a little confused sometimes. No! Love never dies. And that's why I like this one is because how many times can you do the same thing over? Right. And, Brian Yuzna, all hail Brian <laughs> Yuzna, by the way. Um, I am becoming a huge fan. But um, this one feels like a completely uh, different animal. The yeah. trioxin is the only thing really that carries over and the military stuff but this is like a weird like romance you know what i mean zombie romance film and you can only do the same story a couple times before people get bored and i think this is you know it's not a perfect movie but i think it's a really a really unique and fun sequel i think it's great i i again it stands on its own um it's we get we kind of got the a little bit of the punk rock thing back in this one where you got this rebellious teenager his dad's a corporal or somebody working in the army doing this uh testing the testing the tracks and to try to breed these you know super soldiers and him and his girlfriend break in and you know shit goes down and a little bit later uh his his girlfriend dies in a motorcycle accident, and he decides to use the tracks and to bring her back. So most of the movie is kind of just him and her and their relationship, and then slowly more and more zombies start coming into the picture, but it's really, the focal point is this kind of weird love connection between this guy and and, and this girl, and um, the connection they have, you know? Well, I think a couple... um a couple a couple things that I really liked about it is that you say that the only thing that pulls over is the two four uh two four five trioxin. There is a tar is, man. Which is yeah, there is a tar man. There's that, which certain things but there's something in the third movie that references the first movie. Huh. And did you catch did you catch it? 
It's very, very, it's, it's very subtle. I'm thinking. In the first movie, when they reanimate the corpse and have the corpse on the table, the corpse says it's in pain. Oh. And the one thing with her is that she's in pain. And the right. only thing to help that pain is uh, her hurting herself. Huh. Which I, I thought was I thought was cool because, you know, the zombies never say they're in pain. They just moan they just and they brains. want brains. Mm-hmm. But in the first movie, the zombie does say it hurts. Oh, I didn't notice that. You know, and then obviously like James Karen and Tom Matthews characters, they're in a lot of pain. You know, they don't they don't know what to do. So it hurts to be dead. Yeah. And it hurts her to be dead, which I thought was, you know, and then that's the reason why she blames him. Huh. Like, you're the cause right. of this. You're the reason why I feel like this. You're, you know. I just think there's and like, there's. I, a, thought, I thought there was a unique, small little, it's very yeah. subtle, but I think that's a cool little connection. Well, I to feel the like, films. I feel like Brian using it brings something a little more to, because I always, I always thought that Brian Usna was just the genre director, um, but I had never really seen all of his movies all the way through. But then I watched The Dentist. There's another layer in that film, you know, as opposed to just being some horror flick. Um, there's Society, which is like way more than just some gross-out flick. There's a lot more kind of underlying, you know, themes in, in the plot. And then with this one, like, he could have just phoned in a bullshit zombie flick, part three of a series that, you know, kind of a middling, you know, zombie movie series. And he really takes this and makes it completely um, one of the more original zombie flicks I've seen as far as from that time period. And just like the, I don't know, I really, I I really liked it. Like, uh- I... He's a he's a gritty director. Yeah, and, has, and the way he does the special his, effects is just is yeah. fantastic. The, the, the physical effects look really, really good. Yeah, and he has this weird way of telling the dirty part and mm-hmm. dirty side of life. You know, and what we don't see on the surface. You know, because like the dentist, we have the dentist who, you know, uh, rich you know, glamorous life, but he leads this fucking crazy, uh, psycho world. We have society where, you know, everything's so pretty and fancy, but there's this really demented side and gross side mm-hmm. to it. And, you know, you have the military on, on this one, even though it doesn't really dive into the military, it, it, it tries. That's the one thing I liked about it is that it, you can tell it's a using a film, but at the same time, he didn't, stir away from the zombie stuff too much. Right. Like the military's still involved. They're trying to make weapons and that's kind of the basis of the story. And then the love story is the side movie that kind of takes over mm-hmm. with her. And, um, yeah, it becomes her he, story. Yeah. I think he did a really good job of staying true to the return living dead movies, but also creating something different. And mm-hmm. that's why I think it's a great sequel. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why this series is good is because they even return living dead is a cult favorite. It will always be a cult favorite. You know, a lot of people love it. So it's easy to just say, Oh, okay, let's do that again, which they kind of did in return living dead too, Mm -hmm. but they tried as hard as they could to make it more campy and funny 
and make it more of a straightforward comedy. Because, I mean, the first one's a comedy. We laugh. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more serious tones to it. You know, there's a few things, you know, the, the really the funniest parts are, you know, between uh, James, uh, Karen and Tom Matthews. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, the rest of the film is serious. There's not too much comedy other than me, you know, send more paramedics and, right, right, right. and stuff like that. There's a couple of laugh out, but this the second one took a lot, you know, wanted to be kind of more straightforward slapstick comedy. This one wanted to be kind of this weird Usna underbelly uh, world of, um, you know, where does this movie is? Where's this movie set? Do we ever get that? I've, I was thinking New York. I got New a York? New York feel. See, I, got so, LA, I got an LA maybe, vibe. What? I got an LA vibe. LA? I mean, I don't know. I mean, and in, in no, no, it was LA for sure. LA. You're right. I was thinking because of because the, they're at the, they're the at the waterways. Beach. Yes, and the waterways, you know, like the yeah. rivers and stuff. Yep. No, so, it's LA. You know, it has like it doesn't show you that glamorous side. You know, we don't have a rich kid. We have a military brat mm-hmm. who is not a you know a valley boy or a preppy you know he has this kick-ass girlfriend and you know we get to see them in bed together and and stuff like that it's not pretty it's Mm -hmm. not a pretty movie and that's kind of what i liked about it is that it could have been you know but yuzna likes to show this grimy side of life uh to kind of knock us down a peg like you know I think all his movies are like that. I can't think of a use in a movie where he doesn't do that. Yeah. No, it's very, very has and the brand using a stamp for sure. Yeah. It's a it's a style, but it's, it's a also style I like Yeah, it's 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 a style, but it also I think he has a I think he's saying something as to you know, it's that you know, it, we have we have a style, but at the same time we really want to show like this weird side of of the world yeah. and and who i don't know that's this that's just how i that's just how i look at it yeah no, I, from, I agree man like i, I like i said I, I really think there's a lot more going on this could have just been a bullshit sequel it's 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 really good man and i and i don't and i don't say that lightly like i'm i'm always kind of I, I don't know i was surprised how much i really dug this film and i'll definitely definitely be rewatching it um just because there's there's so much there, and like I said, I'm a fan of the practical effects. They look great, um, and yeah, I mean, she I, looks great when she becomes. Oh like, man! And it's and it's one of those movies that you look at the cover and you're like, oh, that's the not cover. A movie. The cover's horrible. The cover's horrible. I'm not a fan of the cover at all. Like I, but you get to see that. I know, I know, but I, I, I know. Isn't that weird? Like once it happens in the flick, I'm like, hell yes, that's awesome. But for some reason, seeing the cover at when I didn't know anything about the film, I was kind of like, "Whoa, yeah. where are they going with this?" You know what I mean? But in the progress of the film, it totally makes sense. But if you're if you're if you've seen the first one, you've seen the second one, and you've seen those covers and everything, and then you see the third one, the third one, it just it seems so far out in left field, you know, that you're just like, "What the hell am I getting into?" But but I, I thought it was great, and and. uh some of my favorite scenes are when they're in the convenience store or the gas station. Yeah. And she's like hungry, which she doesn't know why. Um, and then everything that goes down with the, the, the clerk and everything. 
Um, this yeah. was the first one of this series where if you bite someone, it transfers. Uh, the other ones, it was just from the uh, fog or whatever. This yeah, is the first one where it's actually transferable. You know, oh but, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, but I mean, it makes sense. I mean, by the time that this came out in 1993, everyone had seen enough zombie movies that was just kind of the rules, you know. So yeah, because they breathe it in, they don't, they don't actually get bit. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at it though, if the military's been testing all this stuff, it just it makes sense. Like it could be some weird strain because you know the military's been testing this throughout the years. They explain. So yeah. for me, it didn't really matter, but um. But I think it's great, man. I, I think if if you're like me and you kind of saw the the the, the poster and were kind of a little turned off by it, I think um, give it a shot. It's definitely I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's one of the better zombie flicks out there, just because it's it tries to be different, um, and it, it just it's not just trying to be another zombie flick. It really is trying to be something else, and it's a total standalone film. You know, which yeah. is fantastic. I mean, didn't didn't really have to be called Return of Living Dead Three. It could be called anything else. You know, L.A. Zombie. I don't know, but wow, you said <laughs> titling <80s. laughs> the horrible title. <laughs> but I mean, what I what I'm saying is like, it, it, it's it's really fun. It, it's fun. It's it's just different, man. I I really liked it. So what are what are four and five like? Are they because uh, this five takes the um takes the military aspect and makes military zombies <laughs> nice um, that have like fucking rockets and shit and they're blowing shit up um it's 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 a it's a lot of fun um they then the fifth one is a rave movie where this <laughs> drug z is being handed out and people turn into zombies awesome and it's like it, and five is a direct sequel from four because they were all made okay uh they were both made back to back by the same director it even has the same actors like the actors or the the characters it's like a year later and then the drugs being passed around and they understand what's going on so they try to stop it so yeah but i kind of like you know you have one and then two goes to one and then three goes back to one a few moments and then three, you know, we have three and four that have that military aspect and then five that just try to do something new with the drug, but was still using the trioxin as kind of the drug. Nice. Okay. I don't know. I, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a fun, unique, uh, series that didn't want to really, they wanted to do their, the, you know, all the filmmakers that were involved, um, the director of four same director for four and five. Okay. Those two movies don't like, I mean, they don't go hand in hand. Like it doesn't feel like, Oh, it's the same movie. It's completely different. I think all the films are completely different. They just use aspects of one another. Yeah. That's cool, man. I think that's what makes good sequels. You know, they're not fucking amazing or anything. No, they're fun. But, but that's the thing is like, they really tried. You know, they tried to make something different and unique, which a lot of people don't do. They just like, oh, this was successful. You know, the same Friday the 13th. Let's not do anything with Jason. We'll just bring him back. We'll just yeah. make, you know, the protagonist. The problem uh, is the different. one time one time they tried something different, all the fans went bad shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you tried something new in five because it wasn't. 
Jason. Yeah. And then Jason goes to hell, which was crazy. <laughs> and then you put Jason in space. So anytime that you try to do something different, people didn't like it. Yeah. Same thing which, with Halloween. Yeah. You know, even though that was completely different, you know, they were like, oh, fuck this. Let's go back to Michael Myers. Which is weird that Return of the Living Dead, I guess it never really hit that, you know, cultural milestone of just being this amazing thing that people cared as much, I guess. But um, I, I, I dig, I really dig this series. I think making comedies hurt them. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked their comedies, but I think at that point in time, people wanted, you know, uh, scary zombies rather than zombies right. running around going brains. <laughs> I, I mean, I love it. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think that's what people yeah. wanted in that day at oh, well. that time. So, well, they're worth checking out. Definitely, they're uh, two and three are on Vudu. They're you know they're thirteen ninety nine if you want to buy it, but you can rent them for for pretty cheap three ninety nine or whatever. Or if you so. have the DVDs, you could do the or disc if you, exactly if you have these on DVD, do the Vudu to disc or disc to Vudu disc to digital, and you can get these for like two bucks each, one or two bucks each. Depending on how many movies, because that's what I did. Yeah. Well, hey, um, this episode is running super long, so let's skip the VHS. Oh my god, section and move it to the next time, because that way I can have a chance to actually watch the film we're going to talk about. Oh my god. So, um, so let's do. We have so we've we've had some people uh, submit for the contest drawing i for the sake of time i'm not going to read all these emails but i'm going to draw a name out of the hat and we will choose a winner for a movie and some coffee sound good sounds good all right here we go and while you're doing that um we mentioned Derek smith as one of the writers for the show but we didn't mention josh Yes. Josh Obershaw, Josh Obershaw, Dr. Splatter, is also one of our staff writers who is doing a pretty good job of, uh, you know, as of recent, as especially doing the throwback uh, Thursday stuff with the Freddy thing, which I love. Totally. But yeah, definitely, um, you know, two different guys, two different aspects, you know, different styles. You know, they're, they're both great, so we're glad to have them on board. And we got some others down the pipeline that are coming. Just uh, gotta give it time, and I yep. post shit on there too, but it's usually dumb. Besides <laughs> the woman and whore thing, that was pretty cool. I like that one a lot. I will man. give I will give myself props for that, but everything else. Blows. That hey, that was a good one because there's so many movies that you don't even realize are directed by women, and I think yep. that need I think think people need to give a shit, and uh, you know. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Uh, Josh Sprinkle, you are the winner of this week's. That's your real name, Josh. Sprinkle, like sprinkles. Josh, Joshua Sprinkle. He uh, sent in a picture. He had bought some coffee shop of Horace Coffee, and nice. um, wrote he a really cool. A, he wrote, he wrote a really great email. I will forward. Did he use the code. Yep. Nice. So Josh Sprinkle, you are the winner of this week's uh, of this month's giveaway. We'll be in touch with you. So and, you get uh, coffee that you already bought. You'll get some more coffee. You'll get some samples. Some really good. Some, some really good you stuff. Get some more, and you get Halloween Six. Bam! Director's cut um, on Blu-ray, which I promise is way better than um, the original Halloween Six. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that's gonna do it for this week's show. And I think all of you guys. Oh, I'm not done for listening. What? I'm not done. You're not done. So, go to Tempe Video. Oh, oh. Yeah, come Robot on. Robot Ninja. Blah, 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 blah.
Robot Ninja is going to be available on DVD on November 24th. And even though JR knows that this movie is going to make him a million dollars, it's decently priced at fourteen ninety nine. Totally. And it's also you so, can get the VHX if you have a VHX account and want the digital version. You yeah. can grab that. Which um, this is a new uh, – they, really. they did find the original uh, original master of it. So I think that's what they did on this one. I think right. it, uh, I think it was a scan of a thirty. Oh, shoot, it was a scan of something. I don't know if he's the original master, but it's a pretty damn good transfer. You know, it's, it's so, the best it could be for a straight to video. I mean, come on. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch it. Um, and then also, Jr. said that they have um, the three disc limited edition, ultimate edition, uh, dead next door. He still has copies of those. So you can, um, purchase them off, uh, Tempe video. If you go to that, but it's like Tempe video, Ticktail or something like that. Tempe video dot That's how, um, you, uh, you purchase, purchase that. It's a weird thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll gather all these links, throw them all in the show notes, go to, uh, go to the screamcast.com, find episode 84, I'll have all these links and all this information in the show notes for you to check out. Yeah. So, Fair enough. um, yeah, robot ninja 1499. It's limited edition. Um, and the cool thing about this is this movie is kind of hard to find. Yeah. So, and the copies online, like on YouTube aren't worth it. Cause they're, dude, he's been pulling are, them down. He's yeah, been which, a force to be reckoned with. On the YouTube, yeah, he fucking owns these movies, so watch out, guys. Yeah. Um. So, but definitely something to see because I'm super excited about it because I have the tape and um, it's dark. Even as a tape, it's really dark <laughs> and you can't see too much. So I'm pretty excited to see. Like this is gonna be like this is a big thing for me actually. <laughs> like I'm really really excited because I've always loved deal. this movie. Yeah. So please, um, you know. Look for it, fourteen ninety nine on DVD. Uh, pick up. Um, Should be noted, all- it's DVD R, but everyone, you can just relax and calm down. Oh, it's DVD. Yeah, I mean, but you got to you got to cut. It's it's a Warner archive. It's, you know, it's like Warner archive. You buy yeah, Warner archive but you also got to give Jr. a break because I mean, he's doing this himself. I mean, he's not you know. Yeah. I'm telling you right owns, now, owns Tempe Video and he owns the rights to his movies, so he's doing this shit. Like he's not a billion dollar company Dude, or partnering with somebody. Just having just having Robot Ninja on DVD and a, an option for digital, I'm totally down. I may get and both. I, I love how he. Um, well, I don't know if it's the actual artwork, but he is using that crazy fucking artwork <laughs> that looks like Lord Zed from, um, you know, I mean, because that's what it looks like. But it's just it's just so funny looking. Yeah. But I, I can't wait. It's true. It's really a fucking fun movie. You'll have a blast watching it. You'll laugh quite a bit. And it's very so. ambitious because he was a young kid making this and Dead Next Door back to back. Yep. Um, yep. And quite the quite the experience. It's it's so. worth a watch. It grab grab some beers and settle in. It's really really fun. So this is a limited edition DVD from a 2000 transfer of the 16 millimeter. There you go. So there you go, guys. 16 millimeter transfer. I am totally down. Cool. All right. Well, you can uh, 
Check us out over on Twitter, Scream underscore cast. Of course, online, thescreamcast.com. And I want to thank oneofus.net for posting our show there. Check out all their other shows as well. And of course, all our sponsors, give them some deep throat action. Coffeeshopofhorrors.com. Use our code SCREAMCAST in ordering. Go to grindhousevideo.com and for orders over $25, use the code SCREAMCAST10. You'll get 10% off there. Uh, check out Kevin Spencer's artwork, Ink Spatters. I think inkspatters.com. But go to go to our uh, website, thescreamcast.com slash sponsors. All the information is there. And uh, just give everyone on there some love. We will talk, yeah. we'll talk to all of you guys next week. Um, unfortunately, BJ couldn't uh, join us as we're recording this. So um, we will have her on next time. You guys have a great week. Bye bye. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun. Sean, am I talking to myself? You're gonna have to make a note. Brain fart. Brain fart.